Do we have enough left for tomorrow? We don't have tomorrow. Good. I'll bring it in this week. Ben Shapiro, we are live. The people have spoken. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. I became a fan of yours when I watched you um, uh, with, what the fuck is his name? The, the CNN asshole. Oh, Piers Morgan. Oh, that was glorious. <laughs> when, when you went after him to, with the Sandy Hook thing, like right away, immediately, like uh, it was just glorious. And you could tell that he didn't know what to do with it. And, and he literally said, how dare you? Which is what I say to people all the time when I'm joking. Yeah. I say, how dare you? <laughs> exactly. As one of my friends said, it looked like he was clutching his pearls. He, he, was, he was really pissed. He was I'm really sure pissed. He was, it was a two-segment interview, and during the break, I said to him, thanks so much for having me on. He kind of growled at me. He was not a happy camper. Yeah, well, you crushed him, and the other one of my other favorite ones was Chelsea Handler crushing him, where she was literally talking like, "You don't even talk to me in the break. In the break, you're checking your phone and checking Twitter," <laughs> and, and he, you could tell he was like, "Oh no." He just, you know, he came from that weird British tabloid environment, and you found out that it, the company that he worked for did really creepy shit, like check people's voicemails. They yeah. hacked into people's people who were dead, and they gave the family false hope because they had checked the the voicemail, and they found out that someone checked in. They thought, oh, maybe she's still alive. And then we made him a host on like the X Factor and brought him on CNN. It was awesome. I, I just don't Good understand media decisions all around. why CNN thought that we have this uh, fascination with British people. Yes. If you have a British accent, we automatically add 20 points to your IQ. Yeah, they're great for like selling mops late night and nonstick cookware. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I enjoy John Oliver. I think John Oliver is great. And apparently, he has, uh, you know, a lot of people think of all British ac accents as being the same, but he has like a blue collar British accent. Mm -hmm. But I don't. I, I can't tell the difference no, too much, either. except when I'm watching My Fair Lady or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I could tell people from like Manchester and stuff like that because they, they, you know, they, they have like the sort of like way of talking so fast that all the words kind of pile into each other. But uh, yeah, Oliver's his uh, his recent one. Eddie Bravo got really mad at it. The recent one about uh, Alex Jones is fucking hilarious. I don't well, know if you've seen it. It's almost impossible to make something not funny about Alex Jones. Yeah, you got to meet I, Alex. Have you met him? I don't know that, given how much I've made fun of him. Oh, it'd be I would, fine. Oh, really? Trust me. Okay. Yeah, he's a. He wouldn't like guy. to strip off his shirt and start. Oh, he might, but he'd calm down. You're a good guy. We're basically on the same team. He would. He would. He would come around. He's well, that, I mean, if you remember, the Piers Morgan thing happened two nights after Alex was on Piers Morgan. So, so oh, Alex, yeah. and so Piers was like flying high because he had that whole debate with Alex, and Alex did his shtick and it was really right. over the top. And he thought I was going to be like Alex Jones part two, and it was going to be Piers. You know, succeeds again, and Alex and I could not be uh, more different in our approaches. No, no, you're very rational and very reasonable. And you know, we're, we've been talking about some of your debates. There's not a lot of guys like you out there, which is really interesting. It's like you're a, a fast-thinking, fast-talking, very smart young guy who's also a conservative. Like, there's not a lot of those out there. And this is one of the things that we're encountering today. Is there? Especially on college campuses, there's this very strange separation between the left and the right to the point where the right is like almost non-existent or at least doesn't have any representation. And they're actively shunning that representation. Like they're pushing people out. I know what's going on with you in Berkeley. Has that, mm -hmm, been, mm -hmm. has that been resolved? Yeah, I think that uh, so, so Berkeley, after the publicity, they said they're going to well, try Explain and... to people if they don't know the whole story. Yeah, so, so UC Berkeley, if you recall last year, I, I actually spoke there before any of this happened. I spoke at UC Berkeley in like April 2016. Uh, and then Milo was supposed to speak there. And he actually went there. And there was a riot where Antifa uh, infiltrated the the student community, and there are all these pictures of them bombing things and you know blowing up cars and or setting them on fire at least, and, and yeah. throwing things at windows. 
And so Berkeley shut down that event for safety reasons. Then Ann Coulter wanted to speak there. And they basically used what they call time, place, and manner restrictions to stop her. They kept saying, well, we have safety problems. We can't figure out how to do the event. And in the end, they just canceled it because they didn't have security. And then Young America's Foundation, which sponsors me to go to a lot of these campuses, they said, we want Shapiro to come. And again, I spoke there like a year and a half ago. And they gave them two and a half months advance. And Berkeley said, well, we have no venues available. And so this seemed to be another cover for we're not going to allow a conservative on campus because there are security problems. So we made that public. And then Berkeley said, no, 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 no. Well, we'll make, we'll make sure that you get in. They gave us an alternative venue. And uh, they even said they'd cover the security fee because they didn't like the bad publicity. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, so that should be good. Well, you know what happened with Jordan Peterson yesterday. Yes. Yeah, just yesterday, Jordan Peterson was banned from YouTube. And um, YouTube has a new policy. That uh, I, it's very it's very weirdly worded, but apparently they're allowed to block and restrict any kind of videos that are about religion or that could be deemed offensive, which is almost everything. Yeah, that's right. A- anything that's remotely, if, I mean, ev- anything that's interesting is is going to be offensive to somebody. So it won't be monetized. It also won't be in the Promoted. videos of interest. Or I know they did this to uh, Prager University as well. They had blocked like ten of their videos a couple of months ago. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, I mean, this is nasty stuff. And listen, YouTube's a private company. They have the right to do what they want. But don't proclaim that you're a free speech promoting institution if you're going to block people like Jordan Peterson, for God's sake. I mean, well, the, the problem is they're not blocking things that are offensive to other people. They're, they're not blocking certain things that are representing Islam in a positive light. That's right. Or there's, there's a lot of weirdness with this left-wing choice of what to censor and what not to censor. And it's it's not just dangerous; it's also bad for the whole idea of being a progressive or being a liberal, because it makes you look, it makes them look really petty and really weird and really uh, resistant and hesitant to actually have real debate. Yeah, for sure. I and mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm I'm very meticulous in my terminology about people who are on the other side of the aisle. I actually separate people who are liberal from people who are leftist. So when there are people who try to ban speech. I call them leftist, and if they are not interested in banning speech, then they're liberal, meaning they, they want bigger government, they disagree with me on politics, but they're still willing to have a conversation, they want an open forum. People who are on the hard left think that it's actually an insult to their identity to disagree with them, and this is what I experience sometimes on, on campuses, you know, Cal State LA, where there's a near riot when I speak, or University of Wisconsin, where people storm the stage and stand in front of it and won't leave, or Penn right. State, where we have, again, another near violent incident over at Penn State, or DePaul, where they actually banned me outright. So sometimes you get this routine... Uh, from people who think that they, they conflate their viewpoint with their identity. And then if you have a differing viewpoint, you're denying them their humanity. And it's like, no, I'm not denying you. I just think what you're saying is dumb. Like, That's can, can a we... very good point. That's a very good point is that they have their identity completely connected with their ideology. <clears throat> and when you oppose these people, when you have these debates with these people, what's really fascinating is the level of hysteria that gets reached while you're staying calm. Yeah, that's what I've noticed is, is that there's a ton of, you know, I, I tend to keep relatively calm just as a human being. And very often when I'm debating someone, you see them getting more and more and more emotional. And people on the right love this because, of course, it's the triggering of the snowflakes. Right. But the easiest thing in the world to do is trigger some idiot college kid who doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And it, what's, what's hard to do is actually discuss issues with somebody who's intelligent enough to make the, to make the point. 
but it's it, it the, the level of hysteria on the campuses has really increased. I mean, I now have to travel with two members of security to every campus just because you don't know which campus is going to go off. I never had to travel with security before. It's the weirdest thing in the world. How long ago did this start happening? Uh, well, <coughs> February of 2016 is when I started traveling with security. So I spoke at University of Missouri. They, remember, they had the big blow up at, at University of Missouri uh, with Black Lives Matter taking over campus offices and suggesting that there was some sort of big racism problem at, at Mizzou, which is just ridiculous. And so they flew me in. I did a speech there. And then the next time I spoke was Cal State LA. And they brought in a couple of security guys. And I was like, what do I need security for? I'm mean, just speaking on a campus. Who cares? We get to the campus. And they had already tried to cancel my speech because of security. And I said, I'm coming anyway, so tough. I had to be escorted in by 20 armed police officers. I had to be escorted off campus by motorcycle cops flashing their lights. There were 300 students who had blocked all of the entrances, were physically assaulting people trying to get into the theater. The police had to sneak the students in two by two into the theater. They told them that until I left the campus, they couldn't actually let the kids out of the theater because they were afraid that if they let the kids out of the theater, they'd be attacked as they got as they were released. It, it was that one was pretty wild. So after that, it was like, okay, well, I guess the security is necessary. Wow, what is shifting? Like, what what is what is ramping things up? I think the identity politics is ramping things up. So I think there's a new mentality out there. It's this intersectionality politics on the left that says that there are a bunch of victim groups, basically. Right? There are blacks and Hispanics and gays and Jews and Asians. They're all victim groups. And we get those all, all those people together to attack the system because the system is keeping them down. And, if you, and, and there's a hierarchy among these victim groups. And if you are a straight white male, you're at the very, very bottom of the hierarchy in terms of viewpoints that should be acknowledged because you're the creators of this vast white supremacist system that keeps down everybody else. If you're a black woman, you're near the top, right? If you're LGBT, you're at the top. If you're a white guy and you challenge the viewpoint of a black woman, your viewpoint is an attack on her identity. And therefore, she has the right to shut you down. And so the idea is that your words are violence to her identity. And therefore, she has the right to react. This is the, the term you hear on campus a lot is microaggressions. This idea that my opinion microaggresses you. Now, even that terminology, I think, is really stupid because normally in regular life, we would say that's insulting and you said something I don't like. The terminology microaggression suggests aggression, like I'm actually doing something aggressive to you. And the rational response to someone aggressing you is to use physical force in response. And so you start, you start to see a more violent response. I think that's it's been growing in our politics. I think there's a reactionary side on the right that's that's growing. If there's an identity politics on the left that says, you know, black identity politics, gay identity politics, female identity politics, I think you're starting to see in some areas of white identity politics that's almost formed in response. Like, okay, well, if everybody else gets to have their identity politics, why can't we defend ourselves on those same grounds? I hate that shit. I mean, I think yeah, it's terrible. I hate that shit, too. And I would like to find the person who invented the term microaggression. Because <laughs> <coughs> that fucker, whoever it was, they, they, they created quite a mess. I'm sure you saw what happened at Evergreen with yeah. uh, Brett Weinstein, where, where literally the left is eating itself. And that's where it gets crazy. It's like you're not progressive enough unless you're literally submitting to leaving your class because you're white. Like, you can't be there because you're white. They want a day of absence, meaning the professors, the white people. And then when you don't do it, you're somehow or another racist and a Nazi. I mean, the whole thing is, the whole thing was very bizarre to watch, but, but not, not surprising because you see it so much so often all over the country right now. And it's almost like some new flower of ridiculous thinking and behavior yep. has blossomed and it's in bloom everywhere. And when people can point to it existing in other places like in Missouri, 
where that woman, uh, what was her name? Crick? Was that woman who got the... the Melissa, perfect, Melissa yes. Click, yeah. Yeah, whatever her name was. That, yeah. When you see it in video, when you see her on video saying, can we get some muscle over here? <laughs> exactly. Like, this is fucking insane. Like, you're you're telling a photographer, uh, uh, and by the way, a minority, an yeah, Asian man. Asian guy, yeah. Asian man taking photos of a, a public place that you've created some safe space. But it's it's it's... This weird thing where it's half of it is identity politics, but it's also wrapped up in this need to control people and control people's behavior, control their vernacular, control the way they communicate and how, you know, how much you give in to groupthink. It's it's weird. It, it's it's scary. And Jonathan Haidt, who's a social psychologist over at NYU, he did a really good piece for The Atlantic in 2015 about this phenomenon, this kind of safe space trigger warning phenomenon, this idea that you must never be forced into a position where someone has an idea that opposes yours. And what he said is it basically makes people crazy. You know, it actually makes you crazy. That, that The idea in psychology is that if you have a chain of thoughts leading to a bad outcome, if you're depressed, right? if you're depressive, then you have a chain of thoughts leading to a bad outcome. The way that psychologists deal with that is with cognitive behavioral therapy. They say, okay, where in this chain of thoughts are you going wrong? Are you attributing to somebody a motive they don't have? Right? Is your wife really being nasty or is it you just attributing nasty to her and that's why you're getting depressed, you're spinning off, right? Try to control your own chain of thoughts. What the microaggression trigger warning culture does is it actually grants value. The more you are offended, the more value you are granted. And therefore you have actually an interest in being offended. We give you awards if you're offended. Right. You, you're, you're treasured if you're offended because it demonstrates that you're woke, right? You're, the more you are <laughs> offended, the more we can show that you are woke. And because you are woke, therefore, you're granted this virtue. You get to lord it over everyone else. I mean, I say in my speeches, if we could somehow identify like the LGBT, half black, half Hispanic, one quarter Native American, little person, you know, then we would finally have the, the person who we could go to to answer all of our questions because their identity would be unquestionable. It'd be Yoda. It, it, right. If we could find Yoda, we could just get rid of democracy <laughs> and discussion altogether. He could just rule from on high. He, she. I don't want to put a gender on Yoda. Right. I don't think Yoda's gender. Does Yoda? I guess I it's Yoda's a, guy. a dude, right? It's got to be a guy or deep voice. Maybe we're being rude by insisting. I don't know. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, no, one is, uh, no one's left enough. Yeah, it's it's... I don't know where the limit is, uh, and it's it, they're so far left that they've actually made common cause with the people they hate, right? So when they talk about safe spaces, and they say, we, at, at Missouri, you had all these black students protesting, and they actually said, we don't want white people who think like us and who want to help us in our safe spaces. We feel insulted by that. And I just thought to myself, well, the KKK agrees. Like, if you want to do safe spaces for separate races, I can find some Jim Crow racists who are totally up for that. From like 1962. Well, there's the uh, the really bizarre statement that I've heard over and over again that black people cannot be racist against white people because they don't have any power over white people. Yes. <sighs> wow. That, Which is just it's an, it's inane. I mean, it's an inane statement. This idea that you have to you have to have power in the superstructure in order for you to even to be racist. I can understand the argument if they said, look. You being racist is not connected to racist action. If you don't have the capacity for action that affects people, then your personal racism is not as important as the racism of people in power. That at least is an argument. Right. But the idea that you can't be racist at all if you're, if you're black because black people don't have enough power. First of all, the idea that black people have no power in the United States is utterly crazy. I mean, it's utterly crazy. Well, especially when it was going on while well, Obama man was, was president, the, president. the attorney general was the, was president. <laughs> hey, I always said this about Baltimore. We kept hearing you know, Baltimore, right, where they had the riots. They had, they had riots. And they were saying, well, the Baltimore PD, you know, they're, they're cracking down on black people. 
Okay, the chief of police was black. The majority of the city council was black and Democrat. The entire the the, the deputy the district attorney who was prosecuting the case was black. The majority of the police department was minority. The attorney general of the United States was black. The president of the United States was black. But the majority of the city of Baltimore is black. But apparently, it's the white guy's fault. Like I just, at some point, you're going to have to make your ideas actually work in concert with reality. I can't, I can't like do this with you. Do you ever step back and look at? this trend and look at what's going on in popular culture and looking what's going on with identity politics and this war between the left and the right and wonder where it's going. I mean, how it feels like the, the people on the left are completely emboldened by the fact that you have this guy in office who has said things like grab him by the pussy and he lies all the time and makes fun of people's plastic surgery. And you, you think that having this guy in, in this position I guess, uh, in some way, emboldens them and makes them even more convinced the fact they're right. You know, fight, put up the resistance and Mm -hmm. hashtag resistance, hashtag resist. It's all over the place. Where does this go? I think, well, no place good. I think what's happening, and it's one of the things that I personally am not a fan of, and this goes all the way back to the Piers Morgan debate that you mentioned. I mean, I started off that debate with Piers Morgan saying to him, you don't get to attribute intent to me that I don't have, right? right? You're standing on the graves of the kids of Sandy Hook in order to promote your political agenda, implying I don't care enough about dead kids because I don't agree with you. That is the sweet spot where a lot of people like to live, which is if we disagree on politics, it's because you're an asshole. Right? Right. It's, not, it's not because we disagree on the best method to get to the goal or we have different goals. It's because you're a bad person. And I think that what you're seeing is with Trump, there's an attempt to cast all of his voters as people who love all of the things that are bad that he does and says. It's not that they voted for him because they thought Hillary Clinton was the worst presidential candidate in the history of America, which is true, right? So they, they voted for him because they liked the grab him by the P word stuff, right? They voted for him because they liked that he's vulgar and he lies a lot. They voted for him because they are bad people, right? They're, this is why people misread, I think, Hillary Clinton's deplorable speech. Yeah, the, the implication was, okay, everybody who voted for Trump is a bad human being. They tried this with Romney, too. I mean, they tried to castigate Romney, who's Whatever you can say about Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney was maybe the most honorable person ever to run for the presidency. They tried to cast him, as Joe Biden said, a guy who wants to put y'all back in chains. And he said that he there, he straps dogs to the top of his car. He's an evil, nasty guy. Did he really Mitt say Ro- that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a big issue in the campaign. He straps dogs? So there was, there, was a, there was a story, I think it was in the Boston Globe, <laughs> about how like back in 1982, he went on a family vacation. And when they were traveling, he put the dog in a cage and put the dog on the top of his car. And this was, and this was like a big campaign issue, right? You remember Binders Full of Women? And yeah, you remember, remember what he's, that. you remember in the, the 47% number. Uh, right, don't, exactly. Don't pay attention right, to he's them. mean. He hates the poor. Yeah. He hates women. The binders full of women thing was particularly stupid because the entire point he was making is that I was trying to recruit women to my administration so they would bring binders full of female resumes to me right. so I could staff more women. And they turned it into binders full of women. He's like Hugh Hefner. Yeah, yeah. Mitt Romney? Like, really? So right. th- this attempt to castigate the other side is, is really bad. And I think that you see some of that on the right, but I think it's more reactionary. I think that, that the unearned moral superiority that the left likes to kind of wallow in, I think that's, that's more on the left than on the right, although I think that there is an attempt by some on the right now in response to, to do some of that. Well, it becomes these sticking points that you use to win. You know, and it becomes uh, something that people repeat over and over again, you know, like the deplorable thing. Or... Racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. Yeah. yeah. It's just, well, I was walking down New York City, uh, down the street, uh, right after Trump won when they were protesting. And there was this guy right next to me fucking screaming. He wasn't even in the actual parade itself. He was, like, on the sidewalk, 
but he was screaming, Donald Trump, KKK, racist, sexist, anti-gay. Yep. He had just boiled it down to this thing. But the best part about it was he saw a black guy coming towards him and he just started screaming, Black Lives Matter, Black <laughs> Lives Matter. And I just, I, you, it just, I saw him, I saw his soul. Like in, yeah, that, yeah. in that one move, exactly. that shift to screaming Black Lives Matter when he saw a black guy. Yeah, like exactly. The whole thing was just. Well, there's the intersectionality for you, right? You know, you have to know how to appeal to every racial group on the, on the basis of a stereotype. It could have been Thomas Sowell. He wouldn't have known. Yeah. It's almost like the, the laziness in having the ability to communicate is one thing, but having the ability to express a complete thought that covers something as nuanced and as complex as American politics in 2017 that's too hard. So let's just yell out, Donald Trump, KKK. And it, this this ability to like boil down what's the difference between the left and the right to like a little statement is, or, you know, a bucket of deplorable, a basket of deplorables, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, binders of women. It's so tempting because it's like, it's so powerful that it works. You can put it on the back of a bumper sticker and... I think we've also been shaped a little bit by, uh, we, all, we all live in Hollywood. I mean, you live in Hollywood, I live in Hollywood. That, that means that, and I think all of America lives in that milieu because everyone watches TV, everybody watches movies. So when we do politics, we tend to see it through the prism of House of Cards or, or any of the other political movies you've ever seen. And that means there's a bad guy, right? Everybody, there's a bad guy, there's a villain. And the villain has to, it can't just be that the villain is somebody who's incompetent. Like usually in politics, if somebody is bad, sometimes they have a, a malevolent point of view, but that's pretty rare. Usually it's somebody who's misguided, maybe they have some bad ideas. Usually they're just stupid or incompetent. Like this is what I keep saying to people who oppose Trump. Like why are you attributing to him malice when stupidity would do? Like you keep saying that everything Trump is doing is out of some sort of malicious genius. Are we watching the same film? Like, if, if you have a problem with Trump, it seems to—I I have a solution for the left, by the way. If they, if they really hate Trump this much—listen, I thought Obama was a crappy president. I have a deal. How about we just minimize the power of Washington, D.C., and then we don't have to give a crap who's the president of the United States? You think anybody in 1832 really cared who the president was? It had no impact on their lives. But now the presidency has this outsized impact. We care about Washington all the time. We treat it—I mean, the truth is we watch it for fun. I mean, right now, the last week particularly, with Scaramucci, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's impossible not to watch it for fun. But— it's actually kind of serious business. Like, there are other world leaders who are actually looking at this like, this impacts my nation. For us, we look at it and we go, well, I wonder what's on TV on tonight's episode of Trump, the series. Well, when you say reduce the power of the president, I think there's a lot of people that would think that would be a great idea because having one person has the authority over 300 plus million people, it is kind of ridiculous at this point in time. But how would you go about doing that? Like, how, what would be the best way to implement something like that? I mean, it, it really isn't just the presidency. You'd have to reduce the power of Congress as well. I mean, you'd have, right. to, you'd have to go back to a, a federalist-based system where localities and states have more power over over local issues, and the federal government just isn't that powerful. Because what's happened basically in, in the constitutional structure, the federal government was never supposed to be anywhere near this big. Right? There are very certain delegated powers in the Constitution of the United States that Congress has, and they are very small. I mean, it's, it's things like building post offices and interstate roads and regulating interstate commerce. But the idea that they could regulate you know, your toilet flushing is just that, – that's silly. I mean, the, the founders would have thought that was ridiculous. Yet you have a federal government that that's, that's that big. So Congress regulates on that. But if you're in Congress, the last thing you want is to be answerable for that. So what you do instead is you drop vague statutes, right? You say things like, we hope we're passing a law that says that we should fix the environment. And then you kick it over to the executive branch. 
And the executive branch, you know, run by President Trump or President Obama, has a bunch of executive branch agencies like the EPA. And the EPA puts together all these regulations that you've never seen, never heard of, you never elected these people. They put together all the regulations. And then those are the ones that actually govern your lives. So if you're in Congress and things go bad, you say, well, that's not what I meant to do. I told them to do good stuff. And the bureaucrats who are not elected don't have to care. So basically you have everyone kicking the, the can to the other person for purposes of responsibility. The only way this is going to happen is if the American people just decide they're sick of the federal government running all this stuff and they start actively working to elect people who want to minimize their own power, which is difficult. I mean, most people in power don't want to minimize their own power. Yeah, that seems almost impossible. It seems like no, no one who's worked so hard to get to the top of the game is going to try. The, the other way to do it is to elect people on the state level who are pretty zealous about their own authority. Right? You've seen this from like Greg Abbott in Texas, that every so often he'll say to the federal government, listen, you're telling me to do something? Go screw yourselves. Like, what are you going to do about it? Well, and, Texas is a weird one. Like, they're almost ready to leave. Yeah. I, like, at any point I in time, they're right. ready to put a fence up and go, fuck you. And just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, weren't they for the longest time? They were, uh, they were not really a state, right? They were, yeah, they're still called the Republic of Texas, yeah. right? They're, they're, so, they're, so, yeah, I mean, they, people in Texas, I mean, it's a wonderful state. I, I love that when you drive through Texas, every single store is called Lone Star, yeah. you know, Lone Star Brewery or Texas this. Everything is named after the state. Like, nothing is really named after the country. It's all named after the state. Like, a lot of state pride in Texas. There's it, a lot of state pride. Maybe more than any place else I've ever been. Yeah, well, not a lot of state pride in California because everybody's a transplant. And, yeah. You know, it also, well, there's like, some, you know, people who get here and it represents something that they always wanted, you know, some sort of a... Of liberal paradise where you could get famous for doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is that. I feel like there's some city pride. Like, there's Hollywood yeah, pride. There's sure. San Jose pride. But, like, California pride? I mean, the people who run the state are idiots. Well, California's so confused. I mean, we have a grizzly bear on our flag, but we don't have grizzly bears. <laughs> we, have a, we have a team called the Los Angeles Lakers, not a, st- a lake in the, in the <laughs> state, right? Yeah, our lakes are all man-made. We have to keep pumping water in them because they fucking dry up. Uh, our, our river is yeah. just a giant concrete... Yeah. Ravine. The yeah, L.A. Awesome. River is hilarious. When when I've shown people the L.A. River, I'm like, that's the L.A. River. They're like, shut up. Yeah, the romantic like, and scenic it's L.A. A real river. river. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not a river. No, no, no. That's the L.A. River. Like, it just, it is L.A. It's a fucking concrete, shitty <laughs> slide for water. <laughs> and this city is so dirty. I mean, it's it, it it's could weird. It, like I, I've grown up my entire life here. I mean, I was born in Burbank, grew up in North Hollywood. Like, this is I've lived here my entire life. The first time I realized I liked it is when I moved to Boston for law school, because at least the weather here is good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's gotten so shabby lately. It's such a shabby city. The weather's amazing. But uh, have you ever been to Mexico City? No. I've been a couple times for UFC events. I'm not going back, because I would get headaches from the pollution. And and what Mexico City to me is, is like LA in the future, but with zero respect for the traffic lights. When I mean zero, (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. It's crazy. They're very nice people. Everybody's worried about getting kidnapped over there. I find Mexican people to be some of the nicest people and real friendly and easy to get along with, but they don't give a fuck about traffic lights. When we were stuck in traffic, like there's bumper to bumper and it's a green light going this way, cars just go in front of you Mm -hmm. and they just sort of make their way through and people hit the brakes and they make their way through the intersection. It's a straight up red light and they just go. (laughs) And it's not just one. One guy goes and another guy goes behind him and then you got like 20 cars and and it's just gridlock yeah, everywhere. It's, it's funny you say this, but it's, it's actually indicative of why the United States works, that people actually follow traffic lights. Like, in, like, it's true in Italy also. It's true in Israel. Like, when I visited Israel with my wife when we got married, 
like no one pays attention to the traffic rules. Everyone's honking their horns at each other. I'm American, so I'm like, why are these people so rude all the time? And my yeah. wife's like, honk the horn. She's Israeli. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is why, like, in America, because we have a baseline, and this is what I think is breaking down, actually, so not to get too deep on a point about Mexican city traffic, but uh, I think that, you know, the country was based on this idea. There's a social fabric. We all have respect for each other enough that we're going to follow the basic rules of the game. And that's true as far as traffic lights. It's true as far as financial dealings with one another. And when you lose that, when you lose the basic respect for the guy who lives next to you, you know, you, you need to get through the red light. You know, screw him. It doesn't matter if it's red. Then it, it's kind of indicative of a culture in collapse generally when small rules start to go broken. Like yeah. in Italy, the, the problem in Italy is that 50% of their economy is black market because they have high tax rates and no one pays them. You're starting to see that in California too. California has the highest taxes in the country by far. We also have the number one rate of deductions. So we pass all these high taxes so we can you know, congratulate ourselves for our social justice. And then we avoid all the taxes as much as we possibly can. It's wonderful to, for the accountants. Yeah, exactly. Those, those people are making a, a freaking fortune. Well, I just also feel like when you get a giant number of people smashed into a small area, and it, it, with LA, it's not even a small area. It includes Greater Orange County, and it goes into the Conejo Valley, and it's just like there's so many of us. There's so oh, many. Yeah. It's it's almost like you get that sort of diffusion of responsibility thing, where there's just too many people to care about, and you lose this uh, feeling of value that you have for fellow people. I lived in Boulder for a little while. And when I lived there, the People's Republic of Boulder, you want to talk about lefties. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. If you, have a, if you had a, a right-wing anything on your lawn, like a sign for someone running for they would take it down. They, wow. they literally take things down. But um, when I was there, I was amazed at how many people are polite when they drive and they wave. And, like, there's only 100,000 people. Exactly. So that, that, that's yeah. what I was going to say. I'm looking it up while we're sitting here. It's like 110,000 people in yeah. Boulder. And the population of L.A. County is 10 million people. It's at least it's, it's, it, plus Mexicans. You got to count Mexicans, and then you got to count everybody's connected to all the other counties around it. It's not like there's some border. Yeah, you know, it, you that, just drive around. That's exactly right. So I, it's it is. In the first time I visited Oklahoma, I had this, and I was in Oklahoma for doing a radio that. show. And Southern I was walking, California. Look at that. Twenty three point seven seven million. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, go really. ahead. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma, and I'm walking down the street, and the first thing that and and this some lady and I catch eyes. Now in L.A., you're from L.A. You look away, right? You don't want to get right. stabbed. You know, so if you, if you catch eyes with somebody, you meet, it's rude. You don't catch eyes with people in L.A. And I'm walking down the street. We catch eyes. The lady goes, how are you? <laughs> I called my father. I was like, "What? The, where am I? What's going on here? Like, this is not regular. But I, I do think that there is something to the idea that if you have too many people in too small a space, we're all up in each other's business so much that it's very hard to, to say to people, okay, liberty, stay away from one another. Leave each other alone. It's like, yeah, but he lives next door and he's a jackass. Hate that guy. Because he's like right next to you. Right. In Oklahoma, the guy next to you is three miles down the road. There's that. And there's also, um, it's been replicated in rat population density studies that you get more mental illness, you get more uh, weird, aggressive behavior when they stack rats in these cubicles and then just mm -hmm. jam them closer and closer together. And that's exactly what's happening with people. It's what Manhattan is famous for. It. I mean, I, I, I enjoy visiting Manhattan, and every time I'm there, I'm always like, no, I can't, I can't right. live here. Oh, just yeah. too many humans. I was, I was there last week, and I like the sky, so you can't actually see the sky in Manhattan, right? right? I mean, you just see these brick buildings, you know. 25 stories high and I noticed that uh, we were walking past, past a store and there was a shirt on sale and the shirt's entire text was F-U-U-F-ing-F -F. and I thought only in New York could you sell this right I mean you try to take this anywhere else and people would have been like wait what now 
But yeah. New York, I'm sure that's a bestseller. That's why, uh, honestly, I think it's one of the reasons why Trump won is because he's basically just a guy from New York. He's like a taxi driver <laughs> from New York who's really, really wealthy. And, you know, he does what a taxi driver from New York would do if you're really, really wealthy. He marries models and builds gold toilets and all this kind of stuff. And people in the rest of the country actually take that language seriously. So when he says stuff like, yeah, we're going to bomb the shit out of him. You know, people in New York are like, yeah, that's what we do, you know? And people in Oklahoma are like, wow, he's serious. Like, yeah. that's actually going to happen. And it's like, probably not. Probably that's just how people from New York kind of talk. Yeah. It, it, we saw this last week, right? He was talking about the cops, and he was saying this thing about... Covering you know, their heads before yeah, covering they put the, them in the and, and He's talking like a Long Islander. You know, he's talking right. about, like, you know, the, you know, they throw them in the back of the paddy wagon, and we do all the... And, and you don't put your head on the... It, fine, you, they bump their head. They just killed someone. And so the entire media went, now, how dare he? He's talking about how cops should rough people up. Listen, is it appropriate for the president of the United States to talk like that about treatment of suspects? No. Is Are we supposed to take this super seriously? Like, this is, like, Trump is actually recommending a policy change with regard to... He's working to, the room. It, that's what he does. He works the room. He's, yeah. a, he's a New York real estate guy who works the room. And more than anything else, if you understand New York and you understand L.A., you understand Trump. He's not a giant mystery, right? He's just any other reality TV star. He's a reality... He's a marketing image guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what he does. Like, he's not even that great at real estate. He puts his name on the side... He brands himself. He puts his name on the side of buildings. They pay him not to be involved in the real estate business so they can put Trump on the side of his hotels. Great. I mean, that's what he does. That's why I'm kind of shocked that he's kind of crappy at the imaging as far as being a president. You'd, you'd imagine that he'd be better at this part of it, at least. I just think he didn't understand the volume of hate that was going to come his way. And I think he's such an egomaniac, he has a hard time dealing with it. I he has a hard time like separating. And that's one of the things that I've read about him, that he's getting better at l getting away from the comments and not reading comments on Twitter. But he fucking blocks people. Yeah, and so <laughs> you know about that. Yeah, so, yeah, somebody sued him, yeah. Well, there's people, a group of people suing him, and now they're actually starting to rule against public officials, people who are in the public light, being able to block citizens and having their own opinion about what this person is doing or not doing. So then you have to say, well, are you allowed to be vulgar towards the president? I mean, how, how far does that go? I mean, what are you allowed to say? I mean, my view is you should be able to say whatever the hell you want about anybody. But, but it's, you can't it, threaten them, Well, you can't threaten them, obviously, right? but, but it's... It does go more to the, the level of, of pettiness. He's the most powerful man on the planet, and right. he's busy blocking people on Twitter at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, like, that dude, whole get Joe a, Scarborough, and what is her name? Mika the, Brzezinski, that yeah. That was just the bloody insane. Thing. He was saying that she should... This is the fucking president. He's saying she showed up with bloody scars, or she was bleeding from her recent facelift. Exactly. And it's, it, first of all, it turns out that it probably wasn't true. But of second, course it wasn't true. I mean... Who it, the fuck goes out when you're bleeding? It... it <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's it, and and but this I, I wrote a piece about in a National Review about this. You know, you, you say that the level of hatred directed toward Trump is warping Trump. I think that it's also warping some people on my side of the aisle who are who are so, you know, interested in the fight that they're less interested in advancing the policies that I'd like to see achieved. So right. I think there's a whole group of people where let's say that Trump would just resign tomorrow. He'd say, you know what, I've had it. Screw it. I'm out. And Mike Pence becomes president. And then Mike Pence proceeds to do all the things conservatives want him to do. You know, we get tax reform, and we limit immigration, and we do, we do all of these things. But, but he does not tweet about Mika Brzezinski's bloody face. I think there's a, a whole group of people on the right who'd be pissed. They'd miss it. I think that, right. I think Especially they, now, because it's fun. What, exactly. What they want is somebody who pisses off the left more than beats the left. Right. Pisses them off. If you piss off the left, I think Obama sort of trolled some of the right into insanity. I think there are a lot of people on our side where it's like, this jerk. He just he keeps saying things just to piss us off. And Obama did do some of that. And so tr Trump is kind of a Twitter troll. And so he, he does the same thing. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. Like two days ago, Trump uh, or yesterday, there was a report that Trump said that he thinks the White House is shabby. 
Now, I can say, as somebody on the conservative right my entire life, if Obama said that, we would not let him forget that for 1,000 years, oh, that yeah, the White House sure. is shabby. I mean, it's, like, it's an ass move to say that the, the people's house is sh- First of all, it's a mansion, right? right. Like, and second of all, this is the most iconic building on the face of the planet. Yeah. And then, oh, it's shabby. How and is it shabby? What was he saying it was shabby? He, he, he said, he was, they were asking him why he visits, visits his golf courses so much. And he said, oh, because the, cause the, cause my golf courses are nicer because the White House is shabby. And, and, but there are people on the right who are like, fine, it's funny. Like, you know, at least he's trolling the left. At least it's ticking them off. And say, guys, ticking off the left is not a substitute for defeating the left if you actually care about defeating the left. Like, this is one of the things that drives me nuts because my, you know, one, my life goal has been to promulgate particular ideas, not just to piss off the left. But I think that in the fight, there are a lot of people who have fallen into the trap of thinking these two things are identical, right? You piss off the left, that means you're winning. It's like, no. Pissing off the left may be part of it, but that's not how you win. You win by saying things that are true, and if they get pissed, they get pissed. Well, my good friend Bill Byrd did this piece about Obama back when Obama was mocking Trump and saying the one thing that I am that you'll never be is the president of the United States. The crowd went nuts. Yeah. You remember when he did yeah, that? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And Obama was saying this on stage, and you see Trump in the audience boiling with his you know, big frog double chin, just sitting there eating it all. And that fucking stuck in his craw. There's there's a whole story that came out from BuzzFeed about his interaction with a guy named McKay Coppins, a reporter for BuzzFeed, in which McKay was basically like saying to Trump, like, you're a joke. You're not going to run. I, I think Trump ran just to, just because he was sick of people telling him that he wasn't going to be president. <laughs> like, I really think that's that's half of what drives him. That doesn't mean that he can't do good things. I hope he does do good things. He's the president. I want every president to do things I like. But, you know, he's going to have to get it under control a little bit because... I mean, he was willing to keep the mooch. I mean, the mooch, the mooch was only ousted because of John Kelly, and the mooch is what his did the, What did the mooch say? What was his? Oh, it was about uh, Steve about Bannon. Bannon sucking yeah. his own cock. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. About him like, performing how, acts. Of, why would he think that he could say that once he's in the office? I mean, yeah, first of all, why would he think seems, that Steve Bannon could even possibly do that? I mean, Bannon's not that flexible. <laughs> have I to know be, Steve. That's that's not that's not something maybe in Steve's repertoire. A, a giant unit. But it, it doesn't matter just the idea that he would think – I mean, it's got, he must be emboldened by the fact that Trump has said so many outrageous things. Well, I mean, there were reports from the New York Post that, that he actually – that Trump liked it, that all that happened is that there was so much blowback that he had to replace Kelly, and he puts Kelly in there, and Kelly's like, you can't do this. Right. And Trump's like, okay, fine. I, <laughs> but doesn't it seem more crazy to fire a guy after 10 days than it does to sit him down and say, hey, man, don't say that again. You Apologize. Would think that's what, right. Let's move forward. That's what they should have done the next yeah. day. But the problem is he, he'd been doing it for a week at that point. Right? Yeah. He was out there like saying that Reince Priebus was leaking on the president and was right. an enemy of the president for a week. And he was and saying it, that he was going to get him fired. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, remember, this is the same week that Trump himself is tweeting out that Attorney General Sessions, who is his most loyal supporter for a year and a half, that that guy is like a traitor. Right. And that he wishes he would go away. Because he recused himself. Yeah. First of all, Trump can fire any of these people at any time. Like, this is very passive aggressive. For a guy who made his living saying you're fired on TV, <laughs> it's amazing that all the people that Trump has fired have been fired actually through surrogates. Yeah. I mean, Mike Flynn resigned. Uh, James Comey was fired basically through Rod Rosenstein and Sessions. And then Rosenstein had to recuse himself, which is how you get the special counsel. And Comey found out on television. On TV, right? He which said it's like hilarious. an emissary to go to LA and, and give him a letter. And like everyone <laughs> he fires has to be fired in the most roundabout. I, I think that Trump actually, this, I think the dirty little secret is I'm not sure Trump actually likes firing people. I, th- oh, I think, wow. think, think he, he kind of like tor- likes torturing people, but I'm not sure that he actually likes firing them. Well, he maybe doesn't like people being mad at him face to face. I think that's he it. He wants them to love him in front of his face. So, like, when he's not there, you know, he can make a phone call. Fire him. <laughs> You're <laughs> fired, right. Jetson. Hang up the phone. You don't have to actually see the guy. He, he wants that guy to like him. 
Yeah. I don't, the Comey thing was really bizarre because it was like, oh, you can do that? Like, you, this, this guy is looking into improprieties, and you can just say, no, you can't do that anymore. You're fired. You can't look into the things I've done wrong. Yeah. It was, it, well, the way he did it was the stupid part. So mm -hmm. I was calling for Comey to be fired since last year. I thought the way he handled the whole Hillary thing from beginning to end was terrible. Yeah. I thought that Trump should have replaced him before he became, you know, as basically day one. Here's my new cabinet. Comey, you did a great job. You know, usher him out the door, bring right. in somebody new. He kept him around. And then the first thing he said to Comey, you remember, was when he met him, he said, you're more famous than I am. Well, when Trump says that to you, you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the writing on the wall right there. First of all, it's not true. But second of all, I think maybe there was also a part of the problem was that Comey's a giant. Yes. You know, Comey's, what is he, 6'8"? Six, 6'8", six, eight? Eight, six, eight, six, yeah, yeah, something like that. Giant dude towered and over Trump. The whole Trump. thing is such a comedy. And, and Comey's saying he was trying to hide in the curtains to avoid <laughs> Trump. So you just see Herman Munster over there hiding in the <laughs> curtains. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, what did I'm you enjoying think? the show. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. If, if I didn't think that nuclear war was a possibility, I'd probably enjoy it more. <laughs> but if I see a fucking Korean missile headed our way, I'm going to be pissed. Um, when Comey was handling the email thing, what specifically did you not like about it? What I thought it was was crazy was when he restarted or reopened the case because of Huma having used her computer Wieners, with computer, Anthony yeah. Wieners, all that stuff. I was like, that's not enough. Like that seems crazy. The the deleting the emails to me seemed like. I had Mike Baker on from the CIA, mm -hmm. and he said essentially anyone else would be in jail for what she did. For sure. For sure. For sure, right? And well, Comey, this, so he screwed it up, and then he re-screwed it up. So when right. he originally said publicly, we're not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton, he was doing something he didn't have the authority to do. The FBI does not decide whether to prosecute people. They refer the information to the DOJ, and then the DOJ decides whether to prosecute people. It was Attorney General Loretta Lynch's decision whether to prosecute or not. The statute itself, I mean, I'm a lawyer, the statute itself did not say, do you have intent to commit espionage? Do you have intent to, to uh, make classified secrets public or expose them to the possibility of being made public? Intent is not an element of the crime, right? If you do it, it's a crime. So my wife, is a do she's a doctor, and that means that she is under HIPAA requirements. There's no element under HIPAA that says that if she reveals somebody's you know, proprietary medical information by accident, well, there's no intent, so she's okay. That's not part of the statute. If she brings somebody's medical records out to her car and somebody steals the medical records, you know, if she's working at the VA or something, that's a crime. It doesn't matter if she intended to do it and just left it in her purse. So Comey read the element of intent into the crime to get Hillary off. And then he said, okay, we're not going to prosecute this. We're going to leave it alone. He shouldn't have intervened in the first place. Remember, he made an entire case basically for why she should be prosecuted. And then at the end he goes, but we're, you know, but no, we're not going to do that. He also said, we're going to keep Congress updated on any future developments. Well, you get to October... And there's a future development. They found this laptop with all sorts of information on it, with new emails from Hillary Clinton that they haven't seen before. And now he has an obligation to inform Congress because he told them that he would. And so he screws the pooch again because he's afraid that if he doesn't reveal that information, Hillary goes on to win. And then it comes out there's something criminal. Then people are going to blame him for Hillary winning and putting a criminal in the White House. So instead he says, oh, well, I'll be fully transparent. I have to honor my institution. I'm going to put this out there. Of course, then Hillary loses. And now he screwed it up twice. And then he gets into the White House, and now he's supposed to be investigating the Trump-Russia stuff at the same time. So now he's investigating basically both candidates in the 2016 election. He handled this the wrong way every step of the way because he was so focused on what will 
uphold the in the integrity of the FBI and the integrity of, of the investigations and the integrity of the DOJ. He was less worried about, okay, what do I actually have to do under the law? What's my obligation under the law? His mm. obligation under the law was to shut his pie hole, hand the information over to Lynch. If Lynch wanted to kill the investigation, let her do it. So in a sense, Trump was right in saying that he's a grandstander. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I think that part was right. But the, the problem, remember, was not the firing of Comey. It was that two days after he fired Comey, he went to Lester Holt on NBC and he said, the reason I fired Comey was not all the excuses I gave about the, the Hillary stuff. It's because of the Russia stuff. I was angry about how he was handling Russia. I mean, that's really stupid. Yeah. Well, that's intensely stupid. It's intensely stupid, but it's also strange that it didn't go anywhere. Right. Like, that was it. Like, that, that's against the law. Well, it's, so it's, you know, obstruction. So obstruction, looking at the statutes, obstruction is a little bit more than that. So you have to actually obstruct an ongoing investigation into criminal activity. There's a counterintelligence investigation going on, but not necessarily a criminal one. Oh, okay. So not to get too specific about it, but... Oh, well, that the, is but, specific, but, but you should get specific about it. Yeah, I mean, the obstruction laws, I mean, I've looked into kind of the statutes that they've used to suggest obstruction, and it's not clear that there's any statute that specifically governs something like this. Plus, it is true that Trump does have the power as the chief executive to fire, as the commander-in-chief, to fire the FBI director for any reason he chooses. Now, all that said... He can be impeached for any reason, criminal or non-criminal, right? Impeachment is not a... You don't actually have to have committed a crime to be impeached. Well, right? most they, people don't even understand what impeach means. They think that somehow or another impeach means you get kicked out of office. Right. That's not right. what it is. There, there's the House, and they have to vote to impeach you. Uh, and then there's the Senate, and they have to vote by a two-thirds majority, or 60... Uh, yeah, I think it's a two-thirds majority, to actually convict you of a set of crimes that they come up with. But... These are all political definitions, right? When it says high crimes and misdemeanors, it doesn't mean they actually have to prosecute you like they would in a criminal court and you'd have to go to jail or any of that kind of stuff. Like, they could impeach anybody at any time. Clinton didn't even have to commit perjury. If they didn't want, if they wanted to, you know, impeach him, they could. They could have impeached w, every president you can impeach. It's just a vote. It's just a vote. So all the talk about what's criminal and what's not criminal, the problem for Trump, there are two ways of reading Trump's behavior in the whole Russia thing, right? Way one is he's got something to hide. Now, that's the most obvious way. He's got something to hide. That's why he gets rid of Flynn. We don't know why he got rid of Flynn. He gets rid of Comey. We don't really know why he got rid of Comey. And then brags to the Russians that it took pressure off him on the Russia stuff. Yeah, so, so way one is he's hiding something, and now he's firing everybody who gets in the way. And there's, you know, the chain of evidence doesn't not fit that. I mean, you know, the, he, he, the people he's angry at in order are Attorney General Sessions, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, the former head of the FBI, James Comey, the acting head of the FBI, McCabe, uh, and, uh, and the special prosecutor, right, Robert Mueller. So those are all people involved with Russia. Those are the only people he's really angry at. So there's something to be said for the idea that maybe he's trying to hide something. On the other hand, we haven't actually seen any hard evidence of collusion itself. So we saw an attempt to collude by Donald Trump Jr., but we haven't actually seen any evidence that the Russians were providing special information to the Trump administration, which was then being weaponized for use in the campaign. We haven't seen any of that stuff. So here's the other plausible theory, and this goes to Trump's personality. He's so petty, and he wants to be loved so much, that he is angry that people keep saying he, run because, he won because of the Russians. And so now, every time people say that, he just gets pissed, and he fires people. So Comey, <laughs> I mean, this is totally plausible, right? <laughs> Comey comes to him and has said privately that you are not under investigation. And Trump says to him, well, why don't you just say that? And Comey says, well, I can't say that, because if I say that, I'm going to have to update Congress if you do fall under investigation. And Trump doesn't like that. He wants the public to know he's free and clear. So he fires Comey. And then he goes up public and he says, I didn't like how he was handling the Russia thing. I'm innocent. Why won't these people leave me alone? Right? So, so there's two ways to read this. Either he's totally innocent but stupid, or he's trying to hide something. Those are the only two plausible ways of reading the situation.
The Donald Trump Jr. thing was really bizarre because he released all the emails. Like, I just... Yeah, almost it, like, look, I've got nothing to hide. Like, you aren't supposed to do any of these things you're saying in these emails. Yes, that was that was not a good moment for for Trump Jr. Do you think he got? I mean, and then you hear that he was coached by his dad. Again, you know, this is none of this is good stuff. I, I think that Donald Trump Jr. releasing the email. First of all, it is imperative to note: eight minutes later, the New York Times released basically the email chain. Right, right. so they he, knew, he was, he was he beating knew. it. He was beating right. it out of the gate, and so he puts that out there, which is a smart move. I mean, it, it would be smart Probably. if he, it would be smart if he had found a way to spin it. Right, right. Like if he had done it, if he had done this is the thing in politics now. The way politics works now is your smartest move, if there's dirt about you, is to be the first person out the gate with it. And you put a spin on it, right? So, like Barack Obama. Imagine if Obama hadn't said anything in 2008, and then we found out a week before the election that he did coke in high school. Now, a lot of people wouldn't care. A lot of people would, right? In 2000, George W. Bush was hit with a DUI charge from, like, 1973, and it, it probably lost him a point in the polls. So what Obama did is he wrote an, an entire memoir, and he just kind of dismissed it, right? In the middle of the memoir, he goes, you know, when I was in high school, did a little blow. No problem. Did a little blow. And everybody, and everybody went, oh, okay, did a little blow. All right. You know, cool. So if you're going to release this kind of stuff, you have to put a spin on it. Trump Jr. didn't. He just put out the emails, and the emails themselves contain the damning material, right? It says right in there. Right. You know, there's a Russian government lawyer. The Russian government sees this as part of its effort to aid Mr. Trump's campaign. And Donald Jr. is like, thumbs up, guys. He's like, I love it. Sounds says, awesome. I love it. Let's right. meet. And, and so that does not look good. It's not quite as much as, you know, people on the left want to say it is, meaning that there's no evidence yet that any information was actually exchanged with the Russians or that anything came of the meeting. Most of the people in the meeting who have said something have said nothing came of it. You know, but we don't know whether Trump knew about the meeting. I find it kind of hard to believe he didn't, you know, considering every major campaign figure was there. But, but you know, and then they, then they just keep lying. And this is, this is the part that's, pro- that's a problem. Are they lying because they just think they can get away with it and they're stupid? Or are they lying because they're actually being meticulous about their lies? You know, I tend to think the former because this isn't, a professional administration. I think these. I think Trump, you know, fibs a lot. He says things that are, I mean, like on stupid things. Yeah. Right? He says things like the leader of the Boy Scouts called me and told me that he loved my speeches. Best speech the, ever. And then the leader of the Boy Scouts like, uh, what? So <laughs> it is. So is that a calculated lie to hide right. something, or is it just that Trump lies by nature and so he does it a lot? Well, I think he's just so used to putting that that spin on things, that publicity spin. Right. And the thing that he said about this was that this is what politics. This is what happens in politics. You get dirt about your enemy, and people exchange information. It's just what happens. It's just you're seeing it now. So a lot of people are like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Right. And, and this is something that, again, I think that we're shaped by Hollywood a little bit. Politics is dirty, but some of this stuff is not usual. Right? It's actually not particularly usual to meet with a, a government that is really not friendly to the United States to receive information about your political opponents. But if you've watched House of Cards, you think, well... I mean, it's like two steps down from throwing somebody under a subway. So Do you what's watch the big House deal? Cards? Uh, I don't because I, I work in politics. And when I go home at night, the last thing I want to do is watch entertainment <laughs> about politics. Yeah, watch Game of Thrones. That's as political as it gets. Yeah, it's, House of Cards is a great show. But if it's half right, like I always wonder. The thing, the thing that gets me is when people suicide themselves that are on yeah. their way to trial. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be that fucking guy. I don't want to be that tinfoil <laughs> hat guy. But how many people are going to suicide themselves I mean, it, you, for sure, someone's been murdered. Somewhere along the line, someone knew something, some powerful people got to them, and they murder them. Like, it's going to happen. It has happened. It must have happened. I mean, I, I think it happens a lot in Russia. I don't think that— 100 like, I, I, like, right? I, I don't believe what Trump said. And again, I think this is what—Trump has a skewed vision of what politics is, and because he thinks that 
the outer limit of politics is Russia. He thinks anything inside that limit is now okay. But do you so, think it's ever happened in the United States or just in Russia? Like political assassinations? Yes. Is, uh, I can't name a specific example of where it has. I think that that's... Are you open to the possibility? I'm open to... I mean, if someone shows like me Lyndon evidence... Like Lyndon Johnson. You think uh, Lyndon Johnson could whack think, somebody? Uh, I don't think Lyndon Johnson whacked anybody. What about Kennedy? Uh, I don't think that Kennedy whacked anybody. What about Hillary? Uh, I don't think Hillary whacked anybody. If I had, a, if I had my last thousand bucks... I'd be super tempted to bet on black. I'd, I'd be super tempted to go, you know what? I think she went dark. I think she's whacked a few people. Let's go. Let's see what we got here. I, I, I want to see Whitewater. I'd want to see Vince Foster. I want to see that Enron guy who shot himself in the head twice. There's a few. I'd want, if, I could, if I could really, if I could, you know, man, I think it's happened. I just don't know who I'm sure it's and happened when. at some point, but again, if I don't know who right. and when, I'm hesitant to like of I, I think that we and I think that we tend to think things are regular when they are I mean that'd be really irregular. Yes. Right. So we tend to think I that guess. this stuff is happening like every day. And but, that's why you see Trump on TV saying, Well Putin like America hasn't killed people and it's right. like, Well, no, not quite like Putin. I mean like Putin legitimately murders his, his journalistic enemies. Yes. Like I haven't seen you trying to double tap Jake Tapper. So right. I'm pretty sure I'm yeah. pretty sure no, it's not a regular thing around here. Even Obama wasn't trying to like kill Chris Wallace. Right, but maybe they, you know, maybe, I don't know. Well, Putin is obviously the extreme example, right? Uh, well, obviously the extreme example is uh, the North Korea. But Putin is in that range of, yeah. ex like, a totally feared, essentially a dictator who's... Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of them, right? I mean, er Erdogan in Turkey. Uh, sure. Uh, Maduro. Assad. In, uh, yeah, Assad. Ma yeah. Maduro now in Venezuela, who's yeah. literally yeah, jailing his political is opponents. Yeah, Venezuela now like a complete dictatorship, and this is very recently. Right, but America is a, it, I mean, would you believe it if I said like leaders in France had people regularly whacked? I'd find it a little bit hard to believe. I don't think we're significantly worse than France in the whacking people in politics business. I don't think regularly, but I think every now and then... The move is. I'm open to the possibility, but I'd have to see the evidence. The lawyer it, and me. Well, I don't think we're a house of cards. I don't think it gets that ridiculous. But the point I'm making is, if you think that's yeah. a regular thing, if you think that it's not like a rare thing, and maybe once in a while, you know, once every 20 years, somebody gets whacked quietly for political reason, if you think that's like a regular thing, then fibbing is like way inside the line. Right. Right. Like you, you hiding documents is really, or or you like writing your son's stupid statement about a stupid email exchange and then fibbing about it publicly like that's really inside the line so again i don't think that i think some of this i have a rule about the trump administration i never attribute to malevolence what i can attribute to stupidity because i think that that's more likely to be the case it's like the occam's razor of, right. of the trump administration i think that is a smart way to think but i think sometimes malevolence is real no, like I I, like remember the gary condit chandra levy thing yeah that was weird that was a weird one yeah where if, for people who don't know the story this guy was having an affair the girl turned up dead and uh then 9 11 happened right away afterwards so people kind of forgot about it but they they found her body in the park and everybody was like jesus christ like, this is a woman that was about to testify that she was having an affair with this guy, and that one was a good one. Yeah, was, the, in terms, not a, not a good one, obviously, a terrible one. So I think, I think that, of, so let me say this, I think that, you know, if there's murder in politics, it'll probably tend to fall more into the personal than the political. Yeah. It, it'll probably fall less in terms of, like, I have a political vendetta against this guy, and I'm going to kill him. We haven't really done much of that since Alexander Hamilton and, and Burr, um, mm. but it's, but... There are, I mean, listen, Teddy Kennedy left a woman in the back of his car in a body of water, so... Right. Drunk driving, right? That was the thing with him. He just didn't want to be responsible for something horrible that he did. Right. Similar to Dick Cheney not meeting with uh, the police for, like, something like 18 hours after he shot his friend in the face. Yeah, I Remember mean, I don't that? think he was trying to assassinate his friend. No, he was just <laughs> drunk hunting. And that, that's... That, 
Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I would, mean. <laughs> I would imagine. I can't rule that one out, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's I mean, the same. I, I, honestly, I'll find Teddy Kennedy a little more suspicious. You leave the woman in the back of the car, swim out of the car, go oh, yeah. to a house, sleep, come back the next day, and my God, she's dead. Yeah. Well, yeah, it turns out when you leave somebody underwater for 12 hours, they tend to do that. Yeah. It's weird how that works. Well, unless he was so drunk that he didn't know what he was doing, which can happen. You can get blackout drunk so where I'm you not, wake up and I, you go, wait a minute, did I crash my car? So I don't drink that heavily. Is that really a thing? Like you climb out the window of the car, swim out to the river, bank, go to somebody's house, come back like a day later. They're I've, like, oh, Shit, there was a girl in the back seat. I've never had it happen, but I have had <laughs> I've had what I would call slideshow nights. You know, where I get hammered and then like I wake up in the morning with a pounding headache and, and I just just have these flashes in my head like who was that person? Like where was I? Where were we? Oh yeah, there was that. And then the, you'll eat breakfast with your friends, they'll go, You remember that thing? And you go, Oh yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so it's not necessarily blackout, like I did something horrible and I completely forgot about it, but I forgot a lot of it. Okay. But some people, I have a friend and he goes gerbilize. There's a switch that goes off three or four shots in and he, he's gone and he's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And you almost got to like nerf the world around him and protect him and get him in his bed. And he wakes up in the morning. He doesn't know a thing. Doesn't know a thing about what happened, and it's really bizarre. It's a legitimate. So you guys nice to him or you do terrible things to him while he's No, we're out. nice to him, but whew, it's, it, your your instinct is to get the fuck away from him mm -hmm. and just let horrible things happen. <laughs> but uh, the stories are legendary. But he does. He gets shark eyes. He gets these black, like soulless <laughs> eyes where he's gone, and you go, "Oh no, he's gone." Yeah, it's weird. But I, I wonder what that is. I feel like that's a neurological issue. I feel like if if alcohol does that to you, there's probably like some switches that aren't connected right in the head. I would imagine there's something going on, yeah. 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 So Teddy Kennedy, who knows? I mean, he was obviously a raging alcoholic, and that could have been a part of the problem. I mean, he literally might have gone home not even knowing that he killed somebody. I mean, that would have to be his—I mean, it's his only defense, yeah. so you, you'd imagine— well, that was one of the things that they said they were, would have used as a defense again with OJ, that OJ with the CTE, that mm -hmm, he might not mm -hmm. have even known what he was doing, that he might have flown into some blackout rage. That, that would be an amazing defense. Like, I, I would <sighs> like to hear that. Like Everyone who has CTE now gets to like run around chopping up their ex-wife and randos who end up at their house. Like oh, That'd be... That's a well, hell of a defense, sort of like the Twinkie defense, right? Yeah, well, the Twinkie defense was hilarious. But there are people that think that, you know... There, you're going to see more and more things like that out of former NFL players with massive brain trauma issues. It's it's, it's actually a serious legal question. You know, like the, there's always been the question new? of this was uh, a couple weeks ago. This kid doesn't even know he did this. Oh God! Oh wow! Former NFL player Devon Hall accused of killing his mother. He doesn't remember. He did, yeah, he's like in jail right now. Doesn't recall. <sighs> oh. Yeah. Well, that's real. It's, I mean. It's, yeah, I don't find that wildly implausible. No. I mean, the, the, the fact is that we have an insanity defense. Right? Yeah, I mean, the, right. the, and what it means is you don't know right from wrong. Well, if you don't know what you're doing, like if th this is something they teach in law school. Well, if you're sleepwalking, you kill somebody. Mm. Right? There's no motive. So it's, right. it's difficult to, like, you need mental treatment, but it, do you, should you be in jail for that? Not, not really. I mean, they've had cases where people are, like, sleepwalking and they think that, and they're dreaming at the same time, so they think that their wife is actually, like, uh, th th this defense has been used, where they think their, their wife is some sort of monster in the room, so they, like, club her to death. And then they wake up and they're like, oh, that was my wife. It's a really creative defense, or it's true. I mean, yeah. one of the two. So, Well, if we know that people can go crazy, and we know that brain trauma is a real issue, mm -hmm. the two of them together, I mean, 
there's something about getting knocked around in the head where it's so completely unpredictable. And then you add in this impulsive nature of their behavior that happens. There's something really weird about uh, brain trauma. It, 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 it causes a lot of very strange impulsive behavior in people. They, they really can't understand even why they're behaving the way they're behaving. Mm-hmm. It's just not good. Obviously, this is way off track, but it's. Uh, I mean, we, what I, my point no, no, it's is not that far from politics to brain trauma. You don't want a former NFL player being the fucking president. That's. <laughs> they did a, the CTE study. There was 111 players, and 110 of them had CTE. I mean, you tell me. I mean, you, you have more experience with this. I mean, I didn't find that shocking at all. I mean, they, they've been calling people punch drunk since yeah. know, 1910. So, well, see, the thing is, when you get to that, when you get to the slurring your words part, you're so gone. Like mm-hmm. you're already gone. There's a lot of people that have CTE that speak really well, and they're very articulate, and they're very reasonable, and you wouldn't even understand that they're dealing with all these this host of neurological issues. The, by the time your voice, obviously I'm not a neurologist, but by the time, as it's been explained to me, mm-hmm. your voice is slurring and you're dealing with like real heavy duty symptoms, like you're fucked. Like you're so gone. Like you're, 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 you're way off the deep so end. So here's a weird but, question for you. I mean, what, what would you do about, like, I think the NFL is going to start losing viewers because of this. I think they are. I uh, think you're right. And, you know, I wonder about MMA. Do you, it's, a, it's a factor. I think there's a, there's two things going on. There's the fuck it factor where people are like I don't care. I want to watch people get their ass kicked. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. exciting. People love it. People, and it's, it's consensual. It's primal. Right. Yeah, and people know what they're signing up for when they do it. They know the consequences of it, and it's worth the glory to be the guy who delivers it versus the guy who receives it. So I think there's that. Uh, but then there's also look, you know, like the Colin Kaepernick thing. I think that probably cost a lot of ratings for the for NFL. Sure. Did, there, there, there was that, yeah, there was that poll that came out that said, I think, of the 12% of people who said that they were not watching NFL games last year, 28% of that 12% said that the Kaepernick national anthem thing was the reason. Yeah, I mean, so some small people, it probably emboldened them. They probably liked it, and they wanted to watch it more. This is fascinating about the cultural breakdown of the country. Basically, white people hated it, and black people loved it. This is, <laughs> this is, this is how the polls were. It was like 72% of black people thought it was great, and like an equal percentage of white people thought that it was just terrible, mm. uh, which, is, which is a fascinating look at, at sort of how race relations work in the country at yeah. large. It's, it's actually one of the reasons I think that ESPN's been losing ratings. Like, I used to watch ESPN religiously, and now I, I all I want is to just watch my sports and not be bothered with the politics. Right. Because I say I do that during the day, yeah. and it's a pet peeve of mine that every time I turn on ESPN, I have to lecture about Caitlyn Jenner or about Black Lives <laughs> Matter. It's like, shut up. Caitlyn Jenner hasn't even been athletically relevant for since before I was born. I was born in 1984. Well, the Caitlyn Jenner piece, when they did it for ESPN, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the word was that her getting athlete of the year or whatever the award was that she yeah, got. It's like hero the of the year. It's like the hero of the year award. Yeah. Hero uh, was directly tied to the exclusive interview with Diane Sawyer. Uh, that and makes that sense. They sold the two of them together as a package deal, which I buy a hundred percent. If you don't, For sure. if you don't, come on. Think you don't about know how TV she, works. If that's the case, where she came from? She's a fucking Kardashian. Okay, she's a, a giant Kardashian. That's right. And that's what she is. Now, that, notice I'm saying she. I'm yeah, very, you're saying she. I would say very he. politically correct. Yeah, I'm not. Um, but the video where they circled her house and she was like moving in the shadows behind the drapes. Did you ever see that? No. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was <laughs> wonderful. She I mean it was like the first time she was revealing herself as oh, this okay. woman. So. 
They're circling her house. She's this glorious house and like looks like it's in Malibu or somewhere where they're circling the house and it's in the hills with a helicopter like filming. It's like fucking high production value shit. Yeah. This isn't just like, <laughs> hey, you know, we met with Caitlin at home. Caitlin, tell us your troubles. You know, like Kristen Beck, the former Navy SEAL, you know, right. who just sits down very reasonably and says, this just feels better for me. This is who I am. Right. No, no. That's, uh, there was like curtains and shadows, and it was mysterious. <laughs> and and then she starts talking. It's like, well, you know, I've always been a man. And you're like, oh god. And then there was the weird, weirdest part where she said she got surgery, but it doesn't make me any. I was. It wasn't like I was any less of a man or less of a woman before the surgery. Right. Well, this is the case about gender, right? Well, then this why is, get the they... surgery? That was like. This is well. There, there are a lot of questions as to the logic of all of this. You, you, you call Caitlyn Jenner. She, Caitlyn Jenner, is a biological man. How dare I, I, you? I so, sorry, I'm to, triggered. So, sorry to break this to, to some the, all the people who listen to your show. Caitlyn Jenner. Like, I had a tweet this week. All the people uh, that listen that, probably agree with you. Yeah, or at they, least a good a good amount do. The number one retweeted tweet I have ever had had a hundred and I tweeted I think a day ago and it has hundred and twenty thousand likes. And it's it was there was a headline from CNN that said transgender man gives birth. To uh, trans, what was it? It was transgender man uh, assigned the female sex at birth, gives birth to <laughs> healthy baby boy, and so I tweeted, "Woman gives birth to boy," right? Because it's a woman. I mean, this yeah. is, like that's not a headline. I'm sorry. Like I'm just because the woman believes she's a man doesn't make her a man. Like biology still exists, sex still exists. If you want to say she's a woman who feels like a man, that's fine. If you want to say that, I, and by the way, I don't even care if she gets hormone treatments or if she wants to have surgery, like. It's a free country. Do what the hell you want. But when you start insisting that I you, that I just throw biology out the window, I don't understand why that's any better than I, as a religious person, saying every time you say something, you have to mention God. Right. Like, well, I don't have the right to do that to you. Like, well, that, that's idiotic. Are you fascinated by it? Are you fascinated by the transgender? The, like the, the I'm not, fascinated not by just the society's obsession movie. with it. Yes, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. If there's a there's not just a an obsession. It's it's compulsory and it's rabid. So I think that there's a couple of things that are going on. One is that it's it's very dark, but I think that there is an element of like this is different and we get to we get to revel in the in the weirdness of it, but we're going to pretend that it's all about the civil rights of it, right? We're going to mm. feel like special because we're we're because we're, we're on their side. Right? right. We're, we're not watching Caitlyn Jenner because it's a curiosity and because it's weird and entertaining. We're doing it because we're on Caitlyn Jenner's side. But there've been really trans good about people ourselves. forever. Yeah, right. I mean, Renee Richards was a trans person, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's happened throughout history. I mean, there's, there's, what was I reading a couple of days ago about a Roman, like, there, there was something about reports of uh, some trans soldier in the Roman army, you know, more yeah, than I mean, a thousand years ago. It's got to be, if, it's, if it exists now and it's existed before it was popular. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a lot of people that turn trans now just because it's exciting. Oh, there it is right there. A trans soldier in the ancient Roman army. That wouldn't... <laughs> Of course, that, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be surprising. I I'm mean, not shocked. No, I'm not shocked. I mean, it's a condition. I mean, right. it's, the, the it's DSM called it gender identity disorder, and then they called it gender dysphoria. It's it's a condition. I mean, like it I'm was not saying conditions gender don't dysphoria, exist. and but that in a lot of people's mind is labeling it somehow or a negative. Well, I mean, it is highly linked to suicidality. There's a forty percent lifetime suicide rate for people who have 
this particular gender disorder, that seems to me not to be like a great positive. Whether or not they transition, yeah. Whether or not they transition, yeah. I mean, and again, I don't care diminish. if you transition, do what you want to do. But but right. the idea that, that we as an entire society have to redefine what sex is and we have to blind ourselves to what biology is, this is something I'm not willing to do. I, I think that it's actually damaging to kids particularly. I'm more than willing to call her a she, and change, but I, you can only change your name once. I'm willing to call Caitlyn Jenner Caitlyn Jenner. I'm not willing okay. to call Caitlyn Jenner a she. Oh. Because you can't change your sex. You can change your name. Right. You can change your name to whatever you want. I don't care. But you, you, you can't. She, Caitlyn Jenner is not a chicken. Caitlyn Jenner is not a woman. <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner is a man, a biological man. And if a man lost his penis and, and you know, in a, in a tragic accident, it wouldn't make him a woman. And if he were born with high doses of estrogen in his bloodstream, he would also not be a woman. Right. right? You're, de- you're determined by your chromosomes. And this is not even talking about intersex people. Like, intersex is an actual status. Intersex is a biological status. But this nonsense that if you, Joe Rogan, decide tomorrow that you are a woman, no surgeries, no hormone, no hormone, nothing. You just, tomorrow, you wake up, and not, not decide, but you feel like a woman. Then you have always been a woman. We must treat you as a woman. Yeah. You don't have to change anything about yourself for us to even determine whether you're a woman. We just, like, no. I'm sorry, no. I mean, like, I had mental illness. I, I, had, a, I had a grandfather. I, got, I get so much shit for this. I, but I had a, this is not me being unsympathetic to people who suffer from a condition that is really tragic and, and obviously harms people, you know, in terms of, the, again, the rates of suicide and depression are astounding. My, my grandfather was a, was a bipolar schizophrenic, and it would have not been good for him or my family if people had said to him, Nate, you're right, the radio is talking to you. Nate, you're right, the curtains are talking to you. He went, they put him in a mental hospital, they gave him lithium, and then he was better, and he could actually live a normal, relatively happy life. There's no good treatment for gender identity disorder, gender dysphoria, whatever you want to call it, but to suggest that it is a, a condition that doesn't require treatment, that really it's just that you're actually brain female... Again, this is ascientific. There's no scientific evidence to back this whatsoever. Even these studies that have been done talking about there's a female brain and a male brain. First of all, if you say this to a feminist, you're a sexist. Right? Right. If, you, right? if you say to a feminist, there's a female brain and a male brain, and male brain works differently than the female brain, the feminist will look at you like, how dare you? Well, it's how also one of the you? rare times where you're allowed to celebrate classic definitions of female beauty when a man embraces them when he becomes a woman. Lipstick, high heels, short skirt... This right. is like Caitlyn not Jenner sexist. Was, Caitlyn Jenner was only a woman when Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair in a bustier. Right. Right. Yeah. But if, if he had just said, listen, I look exactly the same as I did yesterday, but I'm a woman. Yeah. If he got a short haircut and dressed like Billie Jean King. Right. It's, it's the reason why the, why the media loves Laverne Cox, because Laverne Cox has had surgeries and looks a lot like a woman. So I don't know who Laverne the, Cox the one, is. The, the, the guy from, uh, well, the, the transgender woman from uh, Orange is the New Black. I never watched that show. I've never watched that show either, but she's on the cover of Time Magazine. Oh, or he's on the cover of Time Magazine. Well, there was the woman in that show. Isn't that the one where the girl, who, Ruby, Ro, is that the girl? Yeah. That's Laverne Cox. Okay. There you go. That's a woman or a man? That's a man. It used to be a man. It used to be a man. It's a woman now. Very tricky. No, still a man, but, but transgender. Transgender tipping. I'm so out of the loop. I'm that old man. I'm that old man who well, always wondered. Look at that headline there, right? It says America's next civil rights frontier, and that's the mm. key. You have a bunch of people in the United States who are suggesting that they want the next civil rights fight, always the next civil rights fight, right? Yeah. So that the civil rights fight is immigration, or the civil rights fight is gay marriage, or the civil rights fight is transgenders. Okay, how about this? How about there was only one real civil rights fight, and it was about black people who had been historically oppressed in the United States for 200 years? There had been slaves. Yes, who had yeah, been slaves, and then Jim Crow. transgenders. And, like, this is correct. Yeah. Okay, the worst that Caitlyn Jenner had experienced was being incredibly wealthy in a, in a, in a high net worth suburb. This is yeah. not to say that transgender people don't, you know, aren't discriminated against right. in, some, in some areas of American life. I'm sure that's true. But it's also, like, behavior is not the same as being born black or being born 
Asian or being born with, you know, uh, disabled. If, if I'm a business owner and I hire you and you're a man and you come in the next day and you're dressed in, in a woman's clothing saying you're a woman, but you still have a full beard. Like, I don't see why I, as a business owner, am expected to eat the cost of that. Like, that's just, <laughs> that, that, seems, that seems bizarre to me. Eat the cost is a great way to phrase it. I didn't have a dog in this fight. I didn't. I, I was completely open and liberal about it until there was a, a case where a man who had been a man for 30 years became a woman for a little less than two years and then started MMA fighting women. Yes, beating, exactly, exactly. Beating the fuck out of these women and, not, and not proclaiming that he or she used to be a man because what in quotes it was a medical condition that i did not need to disclose like that's not a fucking medical condition right and if you ever watch the fights she was like wasn't the Fal- winning. Is this Fallon Fox? Yes. Yeah. She yeah. wasn't winning because she was skillful. She was fucking manhandling these women. It was of ugly. Of course. It was of horrible. Of course. Like this is, but again, it's it's so funny how the transgender movement destroys the feminist movement by right. living off of the the sort of lies that the feminist movement promulgated. So the feminist movement said stupid things like women and men equally athletic proficient. Well, that's and something that's, that's that has been true. repeated very recently, that there's no biological difference in the genders, and it's all social. Absolute horseshit. I mean, uh, I'm just sorry. There, there's, there's no scientific evidence to back that, and it's particularly true with regard to actual physical capacity. This is just nonsense. Not there, just no scientific evidence, but a counter, mountain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a mountain the, of it against My favorite it. study on this is, you know, there was, you remember there was that, those commercials about, like, throwing like a girl, running like a girl? Right. Remember there was feminist commercials saying, what is it to be running like a girl? And they would show an adult woman, and she'd be running all girly, and then they would show a little girl and she's running and it's still a little girly but she's running you know like normally but fierce. it's only it's only exactly fierce it's it's only society that has forced the little girl to run like a woman first of all i have a three-year-old girl she runs like a girl second of all <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because i'm teaching her it's uh, not because her mom runs because she doesn't right, right? It, but does she play with dolls because you're a sexist pig it's because of that my my daughter started off liking trucks like in the first year and i didn't give a shit and then and now she likes playing with dolls and dressing up in princess dresses like who cares she's a girl she's always been a girl she'll always be a girl whether she likes trucks or whether she likes yeah dresses. that was an issue with one of my daughters too my daughter was a little worried about her i go she's gonna be a dyke She's like, no. I go, what's the big deal? You like lesbians. Who cares? I don't care. I'm like, I do not care. And she's like, and then she turned the corner and then she got, but we just let her be whatever she's in. But she was really into like Batman for a while. Yeah. My, my, my daughter is, is into Batman and then she was into Wonder Woman. Like who cares? But yeah. is it, but, the, but what, what's funny about this is that the left kept saying, even, even when I met my wife, right, who's, who's a conservative and I, I made her more conservative when we got married because that's what men tend to do to their, their, their wives, but uh, she, but she uh, you know, we, I remember early on we had a conversation about this, and I said, women don't throw like men, and she got like all offended, and I said, but that's factually true. She said, right, but it's, but it's insulting. It's like, no, that's factually true. Like, I'm sorry, to, like, there have been studies. Out of a thousand, if you took a woman throwing a baseball, and then a thousand men throwing a baseball, the woman will throw faster than out of those thousand men, this is in the book The Sports Chain, the woman will throw faster than two of those men out of a thousand. And we're not talking about like goose gossage here. We're talking right. about like regular humans. We're talking about the accountant from down the block. We're talking right. about Paul Ryan flinging a baseball. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's not the way this stuff works. Well, that was the counter that Fallon Fox used was that she actually lost to a woman. She lost to a woman named Ashley Evan Smith. But what I said was, no, this proves my point is that you're not good. You're right. just a man. Well, th- this was, th- you know, John McEnroe got slapped all over the lot when he said about Serena Williams. She's right. great. Serena Williams is great and all. But if Serena Williams were competing, he said she's the best female player ever. And they were like, well, why not just the best player ever? And he's like, because she's a, she's a woman. Like, if she were a man, she'd get her ass kicked. And everyone was like, no, how dare you? Right. There is something called the universal tennis ranking. She would rank in the mid-ranks of college male players. 
if she were a man. And Serena Williams had said like five years ago, no, I never want to play with like Andy Roddick. He'd kill me. She, she actually did this. There was a 200th ranked man in the world who she, she wanted to just warm up with. And they, they played a, like just a, a normal match. for a, a, He won 6-1, 6-0. Right? <laughs> and, he was, and he was like ranked 200th in the world. And the only shock was that he dropped a, he dropped a point to her. Well, there was the issue of Renee Richards when Renee Richards started playing tennis against women and kicking their ass. And he was a middling player at right. best as a woman, or as a man rather. But as a woman, he was a fucking killer. <laughs> hey, I mean, this is what should insult feminists. It turns out that Caitlyn Jenner won all these Hero of the Year awards and everything. We men are so great that even when we decide to be women, we're better than women. That was the b- most it's, bizarre it's, thing. He'd only been a woman stupid. for six months. But he's amazing he at woman it. Of the year. He's incredible at it. He's just, he was a natural. <laughs> he's a gold medalist It turns out that men are better even at being women than women. Like, no wonder feminists are pissed, and they should be. And, and it, this whole glossing over the, the, the difference between feminists who have been claiming that women are distinct from men and important and different and better in certain ways. Like, I don't understand how you hold these two simultaneous thoughts. Hillary Clinton needs to be president because we need a female president. But also, Donald Trump, if he said he was a woman tomorrow, would be a woman. How do you hold those two simultaneous thoughts? I always thought that in the last week of the election, if Trump thought he was going to lose, he should have just declared himself a woman, and then he too could have run as the first female <laughs> that president. That would have been amazing. That would have been incredible it. trolling. <laughs> if he just showed up with a dress and oh, lipstick. Man. And, and the entire left I identify been... as a woman. I'm the best-looking woman ever. I've been, I've been voted as the best-looking woman of all time. <laughs> Um, one of the, the great arguments that I got in online, uh, when it wasn't even arguments, but so many people were calling me a bigot because of this Fallon Fox thing. It was it was stunning because it was so confusing to me. I'm like, I'm talking about defending a biological woman. Like you, these biological women, at least two of them, got the fuck beaten out of them by Fallon Fox before they found out that she used to be a man. I'm like, that's not an issue to these people. And so this one woman said, she's always been a woman. And I said, okay. She gave birth. She impregnated a woman and got her pregnant. I go, what about then? She goes, even then. Yeah. Well, so even they- then, she was a woman. She was a woman. She when she was fucking a woman with her dick, <laughs> and getting that woman pregnant. Like we are in fantasy land. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's crazy towns out there. This doesn't mean. This is what's crazy. Like you can't just because something's illogical, you can't just decide that someone's a bigot. Like the, you're you you we're in a weird area. We're talking about. Bone structure and here's the crazy Muscle thing. Muscle density. They're, they're, there's a crazy thing is that they always rely on these gender reassignment doctors to define the terms, and it's really interesting because I got deep, deep, deep into the rabbit hole with this because I was really shocked at how many people were angry at me. Yeah. And there is one doctor who is a board-certified endocrinologist who sort of broke it down. She's like, not only is the science behind this crazy, but when you have gender reassignment surgery. One of the big issues with men um, transitioning into women is bone density. Mm-hmm. She's like, when you have gender reassignment surgery, you're taking estrogen, which actually preserves bone density. She's like, not hmm. only do they have less bone density once they become a woman, they might have more. Whoa. Because it, it, you're preserving it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you're not going to automatically be just like a woman in a year or so. I don't think surgeons, I mean, I know too much about doctoring from having spent 1,000 years with my wife's medical education to believe that doctors have the capacity to magically change a man into a woman. Uh, no. Maybe it's going to happen one day with, like, CRISPR or something like that when they start <laughs> using, you know, genetic, uh, literally I mean, b- before, genetic before editing. Before birth, maybe. I mean, yeah. if you actually edit right. the chromosomes before birth, but no. I mean, like, no. If it, once Once... Your gen- once your genes have been defined, once your chromosomes have been defined, like, this is fifth grade science, people. It's well, what, fifth grade science. What scares the shit out of me is when you hear these stories about people deciding that their child, who's like eight or nine this years old. This is effed up beyond belief. 
It's scary because you can't, a nine-year-old, like a fucking 17-year-old doesn't know. That was the thing about that Ruby Rose girl. She was saying that when she was young, when she was a teenager, she wanted to be a man. She wanted to be transgender. And that she had gone through that phase, and now she's so happy that she didn't do anything. Right. Well, yeah. they, they say that, that 80% of kids who experience any sort of gender dysphoria as children grow out of it. So when you have a society that reinforces it, and then in Canada, they're, now having, they're passing laws now that say that if a kid says, you know, you have a girl, and the girl says, I'm a boy, and she's three, that the government can come into your house and take the kid. Because obviously, if, if, you, if you don't want to humor the kid and get the kid treatment or surgery or, or hormone blockers, then you're obviously doing something wrong to the kid. This is just... It's insane. First of all, if anyone tried to do that with my kid, I would meet them at the door with a gun. I mean, that, that, this, is, this is the kind of stuff where you're talking legit civil war. Like when, when you say that the government can take people's kids from them because the government knows better than you how to parent your kids on basic things like, are you a boy or a girl? That, that's going to get violent pretty quickly. If you send someone to my door with a gun saying, I'm taking your daughter from you because your daughter says she's a boy at school and, you, and you're not going to take her to a psychiatrist to start her transitioning process. Oh, No. But what, no. how did we get so far down this rabbit hole of insanity? And this is, again, this is not taking away the personal choice of a 60-year-old man like Bruce Jenner who decides right. he wants to be a woman. Do what I, you want. You, free country. Go have at it. Have a good time. But how did we get so crazy that that becomes an option, that people aren't, they're not paying attention to the, the, the massive variables that a child encounters, psychological variables, stress variables, what's going on in the home, what's happening hormonally, what's happening psychologically, what is happening to you, and how how can you decide, like, this is it? You're going you're to allow this kid to make a, like, a lockdown decision to begin gender transition surgery at, like, 9 or 10 years old. Yeah, you can put hormone blockers in there to an 8-year-old. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, and then they'll show you, like, this girl who's, like, 13, who used to be a boy, and you know, you see her act and talk and they go, how could you imagine that this isn't a girl? Okay. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, mean, I just don't know what happened. I'm going to go with the fact that there's a Y chromosome in every cell of that person's body, except ironically for some of his sperm cells to tell me that that's probably a boy. And, and yes, you can block the manifestation of some physical characteristics that does not change the chromosomes. And there are legitimately intersex people, right? I mean, there are people right. who legitimately have conditions like Kleinfelter syndrome. I mean, they're, right. they're like, they're, these, are, these are actual biological things. But if you're telling me any boy can be a girl, no. No. The answer is no. And it's, that's, that's not biologically correct, and you're not doing any sort of service to a child, especially evidenceless. I mean, you're, no, you're doing no service to a child by, bringing, by, by humoring what is obviously a mental condition and a mental condition, by the way, again, linked 40% lifetime suicide rate is higher than any other population on planet Earth by a whopping margin. I mean, telling kids that we are going to force you into the, like you express when you're five, that you think you're the opposite sex. And now at eight, we're going to transition you into this. And your suicide rate is exactly the same as somebody who didn't do that, right? Or it's very similar to somebody who didn't do that. And, and like, this is somehow supposed to benefit the person. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's beyond imagination. I think it's cruelty. Well, it's very strange, for sure. And as someone who doesn't experience gender dysphoria, I like to, I mean, I, when, when someone's got some sort of an issue, whatever it is, whether yeah. you call it an issue or a condition or whatever the fuck it is, and I don't have it, I try to be as... as standoffish, I try to be as objective, I try to be as, as kind as possible, 
this is a weird one though. This is a weird one because it's it's become some sort of a fad and any criticism of it whatsoever, even discussion of it, your labels a tr- as a transphobic piece of shit. Yeah, I, I think it's only weird, honestly, because it's run into the weird sexual politics that dominates in the country. Right. Because if we were to talk about anorexia, which is a form of body dysphoria. Yes. All right. Or if we were to talk about, I mean, there actually is something body identity integrity disorder, right? Where people like want to lose an arm. Like we would be saying, well, the problem is in your brain. It's not in your arm. Right. Like chopping off your arm seems a little extreme. But if you want to do that, like go ahead. But if you were a kid and it's a five-year-old, you wouldn't say, oh, well, this kid's going to suffer with this their entire life. Like let's just chop off their arm now. Or let's, right. you know, let's prevent them, their arm from developing. Like this is not and, – and to tell the entire society that this is a positive good is, is a whole other thing. It's one thing to try and treat people who have a disorder humanely. It's another thing to redefine the terms of – the entire civilization, as well as biology, in order to fit that. This is, it's valuing the subjective over the objective. Science is objective. Your feelings about who you are is subjective. You can have those feelings, but once you are trying to translate those feelings into the objective standard we all must hold by, now you're encroaching on my territory. It's not just, it's not just you doing what you want to do anymore. You're, you're telling me what I have to do, and that's a different thing. Right. Now, when people say that there's this 40% suicide rate amongst transgender people, um, one of the arguments that I've heard is it's because they're not accepted. Right. I've heard this too. Yeah. Yeah. And that if they were accepted and then they felt themselves and they felt loved for their true self, then it would be just like everybody else. And but I've a- seen no evidence to suggest that. If, if, there's, if there is a decrease based on treatment then it's marginal at best. But you that know? dysphoria, it's, is it uniform? Like, I would like to know, like, is, like, gender dysphoria, is it a, a, in a similar percentile as uh, anorexia or what bodybuilders get or what strippers get when they get triple F tits? I, I you know, don't know. I'd have, I'd have of, to like, look up, like, the anorexic suicide rate. Um, body I, dysphoria is a weird thing. You know, it's... it's it is. It, I've it, met it, people. There's a girl that goes to my yoga class that's uh, anorexic, and it's so disturbing. It's yeah, so it's, sad. It, oh, it's 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 horrifying. It's horrifying. And listen, I'm not so I'm not saying that we should mistreat people, but if again, you're talking about an entire society mm-hmm. being forced to redefine basic biological terminology, right? Then, like, it, be an adult. Like, li- like, live with this. I'm I'm happy yeah. to treat you with. Uh, listen, what I, I would hire a transgender person. But I'm not going to see, I'm not going to change what reality is in order to humor you. Like if you call yourself Napoleon, I'm not going to call you Napoleon. You're not Napoleon. <laughs> like this is not something I'm up for. Would you take it into consideration though? I mean, when you were looking at this, like, what if someone was really good at their job and someone else was equally good at their job but not transgender? Would you lean towards the not transgender person because you say, well, the transgender person, they're dealing with a host of psychological issues, obviously. Well, I mean, I, I think that you would have to think about, you know typical aspects of reliability, just the same way you would with any other mental disorder. If you knew somebody was was manic depressive, which is super common, and you have somebody who's equally qualified who's not manic depressive, you might think, well, that might have an effect on, on how they do their job. Yeah. So m- maybe. I mean, I, I, you know, I've, I haven't had enough personal experience with transgender people to know whether it would impact a secretarial job or something. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But it's... but. Again, to pretend that, like, transgenders in the military, this seems to me like a decision that should be made by military people who right. actually have to determine how much does this impact the job. And if you already have a group of people with a 40% suicide rate who have high levels of inst- higher levels of instability as a group, not individually, as a group, and you're choosing which groups to pick from to be on the front lines in small units living under severe pressure for months at a time, yeah. like, is that something that, is that what you're going to go for? Or is that something where, like, you'd have to overcome certain presumptions in order to get there. Yeah, I tweeted uh, something that Kristen Beck wrote 
the other day, um, but when the military ban when Trump apparently there was not a real ban. No, it's bullshit. I mean, basically Trump, Trump was trying something. to distract from the Sessions thing. Is he, that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Two minutes later, he was back to tweeting about Sessions. He, like, <laughs> this was the part about that I didn't like. Like, I actually agree that there is a question as to whether the military should be recruiting transgender people because I think that the military has certain like it, it creates a bunch of questions, not just questions about who showers with whom, but also questions like, okay, you have a transgender man, does he have to fulfill the female standards of fitness or the male standards of fitness? Right. right like these are actual questions. Yeah. Does it? How does it work with troop cohesion? Right. Yeah. You have a group of men, and now you have a man who's technically a man, but he's, do you treat him as a woman? Like, does he have to carry the same amount of stuff as the guy? Like, how does that work exactly? Right. Uh, does this, the cost of gender transition surgery and hormones and psychologists, like, does that come into play at all here? Would you recruit from the anorexic community for the military? Mm. Like, that's, it, these are, like, real questions. But that said, that's why they commissioned a study from General Mattis at, at Department of Defense. He was going to look into all of this and then give a report in six months, and Trump just sort of tweeted it out there. I agree that I think that Trump's general... You know, his general attitude on it is probably correct in terms of what the military is there to do and what, what it's not there to do. But what I don't agree with is how he did it at all, because it's disrespectful to the people in the military who are transgender. I mean, like, I wouldn't want to find out in a tweet. I want a better rationale than two tweets and then we're back to and then we're back to, you know, like, look, they're doing more than I. I mean, they're serving the military. I didn't serve in the military. It seems like it would be pretty hypocritical of me to say, well, it's perfectly respectful to say in two tweets, you're out. Because that's the way it is, without any sort of supporting argumentation. And he didn't actually implement a policy. He didn't give the policy to the Defense Department so they could even implement it. The Pentagon says they're not implementing it because they don't have a policy. So it's a PR thing. So this is a weird PR thing, but it really stirred up people in the um, the Which comments was, I think it was designed to do, right? I'm sure. Well, it, either that or he just felt like tweeting. I think, that's what, I, I think that's what it was. I mean, he wanted to shift the conversation. And it was it, it, the funniest thing about that is that he did it in two tweets. And the first half of the tweet was in consultation with my generals and my military experts. We have decided that we will no longer accept ellipses, ten minute gap, transgender people in the military. So there was a, <laughs> there was a there was a, a story at BuzzFeed that was kind of funny. They went and interviewed a bunch of people in the Pentagon, and a bunch of the people in the Pentagon were like, during that ten minute gap, I didn't know whether we were going to nuclear war or what, right? Because that first tweet was like, we will no longer no, accept. It could have been North Korea's North statehood. Korea's missile, yeah. you know, missile test program. Right. So, wow. Yeah, but this again is evidence. Of, you know, I think it's an example of even if I think the policy is good, good policy done the wrong way is actually counterproductive for the policies that I want to see done. Like I want it laid out by Mattis. I want it laid out by Defense Department. I want all the reasons laid out so we can have a good discussion over it. I don't really want just like thought vomit on Twitter. That's just not, I don't think it's effective. Well, it also seems that this issue is such a hot issue. And it's also an issue that you're not really allowed to have an opinion on other than the standard opinion. That this has always great. been a woman trapped yeah. in a man's body. And this is the way it is. And by the way, this is totally Cardian, healthy. This Descartian notion that it's like a man, that it's like the, the, the soul in the machine. And that's the, the, there's a mm. woman deep down for 40 years who had three children with a man's penis and now mm. is now is escaping there's like ghostbusters like uh, again <laughs> ghostbusters it just <clears throat> have you seen the man in england was it in england no it was germany the man in, in that identifies as a six-year-old girl yes and so they turned him into a six-year-old girl so there's this clip pigtails. yeah exactly yeah. So there's that clip of me that's gone around the internet a fair bit where i'm talking to a college girl about this and she she's saying like men are men can be women and women can be men and i said well how old are you i love that clip I mean, come on. <laughs> Why aren't you 60? Why aren't you 60? Yeah. And right. she, she's she, like baffled, like, what? And then it finally <laughs> hits her, and it's like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think this is what's kind of frightening about the age we live in, is that 
We can't even come up with common definitions of basic things. How are we supposed to have conversations with each other if you can't decide what a man is or what a woman is or, or whether a scientific fact ought to be relevant or not? Yeah. Right? Like, like there, at least we could d- decide what was a scientific fact or not before. And now it's like the subjective has just eaten everything. If I don't think it's a scientific fact, it's no longer a scientific fact. And well, we've changed I no the parameters it. of the argument. It's become about freedom, the freedom to be your authentic self versus biology. And Right. And again, be, be, be your authentic self. I don't give a shit. Do, do whatever you want. Like, you know, yeah. more power to you. But it is no longer about your freedom to be your authentic self when you're talking about either legislation that impacts how I run my business or how I raise my child. Or you're suggesting that it is my duty to humor your authentic self. Like, I think there are a lot of people who do stupid crap their entire lives. It's not my job to humor their authentic self. I mean, I'm, I'm pro-drug legalization, but I've never done drugs, and I think that drugs are stupid. You know, th- don't tell me that I have to, like, cheer when somebody smokes a joint. Like, do what you want, but don't tell me that I have to redefine what I think is good and bad behavior. Like, that's silly. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, the other thing that it became this weird political hot point where we were talking about bathrooms— yeah. And then it become like the number one topic. Because it was easy for people to sort of boil down right. the argument into that, I think. Right. Of course. Like this, what about my children? My children are going to go in the bathroom and a man with a dress is going to come in. He's going to claim that he's uh, identifying as a woman. And it got to the point where so many people were upset about it that people were boycotting South Carolina. Remember that? Oh, yeah. You know, the, and, and this the one I thought was amazing was, was the NCAA saying they were going to remove the Final Four from North Carolina because they passed the, the bathroom bill, right, in North Carolina. And I, I, I asked online, okay, so when are you going to abolish the separate male and female divisions of the NCAA? Like, I mean, you've said that we can't right. have separate male and female bathrooms where biological males play and, you know, where, where biological males go to one bathroom and biological females go to another. So why do you have separate divisions? Why do you have, a, why do you have an NCAA women's division and an NCAA men's division? Yeah, where does this go? I mean, where, eventually... Where, it, how does this boil down? I mean, eventually it goes to one place or another. Like, either we just say, this is a step too far, give me a break. You know, science says no. Or we say anyone can be anything at any time. A man is a woman and a woman is a man. And, you know, it's and just pick. Have you you ever seen any of the videos of people that are gender fluid? I have seen those videos. Those videos are fascinating. Like they wake up one day and they're a woman and the next day they're a man. And there was a guy on NPR on um, Radio Lab on the podcast who transitions at times of stress. Makes perfect sense to me. In the middle of having a conversation, I just switched. But I'm, I'm Paul now. I'm does, a man now. So does, when he's more stressed, does he switch into a woman? Because that would be really question. sexist, right? I mean, I think that like if he was stressed at work and he switched into a woman and started crying, that seems kind of sexist to me. That's implying that women are the people who cry at work. So I mean, That is sexist. Also, this raises a bunch of other weird questions. Like, okay, if you're like, there's, there's been this, again, you want to talk about weird. There's been this, this, this weird push in parts of the trans community to suggest that a male who doesn't want to have sex with a biological male who says he's a female, <laughs> is a, is now a sexist against transphobe. women. Transphobe. Is a transphobe, right? You're yes. a bad person if you're a man who doesn't want to have sex with a man, a biological man. And it doesn't make you gay to do that, right? If you have right. sex with a biological man who says he's a woman, that's straight sex. But if you were to have sex with a biological woman who says she's a man, you're gay. Mm. Yeah. Kind of weird. It's definitely weird, but I have seen the arguments and the the blog posts and the tweets about men who discriminate against trans women who do right. not want to date trans women. And people keep saying, "Well, it's it's culturally defined." It's like, no, that's huh. called evolution. <laughs> well, you right? can have a baby together. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It okay. turns out that evolution wants men to have sex with women. Like, I'm sorry to break it to, to everybody, but evolution re- relies on human reproduction. Okay, if you put that thing in the wrong place, it ain't going to reproduce. Like, that's just. 
sorry. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know why I have to keep apologizing for science. And and then they say that my party is the party of non-science. Like, what? Like, you're the ones <laughs> who say that two minutes before my baby is born, it's not a baby, and a man can be a woman. But I'm anti-science. I'm just, I'm, I'm wildly confused by this. Well, the whole thing is wildly confusing. Um, but it's just, it's such a strange subject. It's such a strange subject that's been brought to the forefront. Again, I, I think it's about more the moral posturing than it is about people who actually think this is a major issue. I think you're absolutely right. And I think people love to be virtuous. They love to be on that side. They love to virtue signal. How dare you? Yeah. And how it dare is you? the how dare you were doing. It, it's yeah. the how dare you with dicks <laughs> or lack of <laughs> fake dicks. But they don't really have a lot of fake dicks. They don't really go that far. They just sort of take testosterone and see what's up. But the, the it's just... It's a it's a weird facet of our society today that is uh, unexpected. I mean, you go back twenty, thirty years, and it was an oddity. And you know, even during, during the Renee Richards thing, it was it was more of an oddity than anything. And people I think just sort it, of accepted this, well, it. Well, this is why I say I think that it's I think that a lot of the people who are virtue signaling are still treating it as an oddity. They just won't admit that. Right. I think that they're watching it because it's a circus to them, and I think that's actually cruel. I don't think that you should like put people who suffer from mental illness on the cover of magazines. I just don't. I, I think that that's bad strategy. What about bodybuilders? I mean, you, I don't know that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that much about bodybuilding. I mean, well, look at me. Do I look like I know that much about bodybuilding? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, uh, the uh, argument that I've heard is I'm a is CrossFit that... guy. I'm ripped but small. <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> I'm a more of a marathon runner. The, uh, what I've heard, uh, the argument about bodybuilders is that they su suffer from it as well, is that in order to get that big, you, you almost have to have some sort of a body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. You you've, have to not understand how insanely huge you are. Yeah, I mean, or be really into it. Their argument is they're really into it, and which makes sense to me. But I've heard people say that, that it's it's like a, almost like a reverse anorexia. Like mm -hmm. they never feel like they're big enough. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that. People yeah. say that before, yeah. Well, it's weird that the human mind is suspect or, or subject. It's rather, really variable, these, and it's yeah. really open to suggestion. Really open really. to suggestion. I mean, which you is see what that scares with, people about children transitioning. For sure. For sure. I mean, listen, you, you see it in everything, including fashion. Like how many dudes wax their chest now? Thirty years ago, nobody waxed their chest. Are they waxing? Dudes are waxing. Jamie, they shave I turn their to chest, you. wax their chest. Whenever, whatever I have it is. Questions about the youth. I turn to young Jamie. Yeah, but, but I mean, you watch TV now, and yeah. every dude on TV has a chest as bare as my, you know, fourteen-month-old mm. yeah. son's. I hear you. And it's like, hmm. where did this come from? And this came from TV. Ripped. They won't look chiseled. And it also came from TV. I mean, right. it was it, like TV. It was going to be men are going to be hairless now. This is this is the new trend. And men are going to be hairless. Hmm. Right? And you don't even get the Burt Reynolds like, you know, yeah. bare chest anymore. Hmm. And they, so if, if people are susceptible to even that with regard to fashion, like people have for, for five years, people convinced themselves that skinny jeans were a thing. Like yeah. people, people are open to, to virtually any sort of suggestion. Bell bottoms. They come in, they come out. Remember when they tried to bring bell bottoms back a I few did years ago? They, they, not a good call. They tried. And people are like, nah, not this one. Platforms? I mean, these two are platform shoes. That, that, that's why I'm just keeping around all my dad's old clothes, because eventually they're, <laughs> they're going to come back in again. You never know. Yeah, the, the idea of fashion and culture uh, also being like the same sort of mechanism that allows people to be variable when it comes to their gender. And th th that's... I mean, you actually see there's a study. I thought this was fascinating. There's a study in Britain, or a poll in Britain, about sexual orientation. And what I found was 95% of people over the age of 60 identified as exclusively heterosexual. Of people who are under the age of 30, only 42% identified as exclusively heterosexual. Wow. And it's like, okay, well, in two generations, it's not that half the population became bisexual, right? That is not a scientific thing. That means that people are open to suggestion about their sexual behavior, which you would assume. Hmm. Right? So, so assuming that culture has no impact, and th this goes against the whole you know, born this way aspect of, of even the homosexual rights movement, the gay rights movement, that says, oh, you were born this way. Like, I agree that there's a 
a genetic component to sexual behavior. But the idea that that's what why 50% of the UK population has shifted toward, you know, I'm open to anything. The culture Was has it something. 50%? As I say, 95% of people over the age of 60, and then 42% of people under the age of 30. Wow. So that's it. So that's. 42% say they're exclusively. In no, for, no, 42% people say the they're extre- extremely, extremely uh, heterosexual. Extremely, so, 40 say, per, oh, say exclusively okay. heterosexual. So 60%, nearly 60%, say, 58% say that they're on the spectrum, but not exclusively heterosexual. That's fascinating. I wonder if they only talk to women who are drunk. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like young drunk girls, they get crazy. Like, but I think it, also I mean, it's like Adam they're Carole, trying to You know, there's an Adam Carolla thing, right? Where Adam, Adam has a whole shtick about like in the future, there's going to be a point where guys are considered gay if they won't kiss another dude. Mm. Like, what are you gay? You afraid that you're gay? Kiss another wow. dude and show me you're not gay. It's, we, we've I, gone we've gone around the bend a little bit. We we have. Well, there's also this thing that I I think happens when you have two very clear sides, you know, where you have teams and you sort of have a line in the sand that you're not supposed to cross. And there's the right side and there's the left side. And we have that in this country. We really don't have a third party option. No, like all oh, our third parties are kind of a joke. <clears throat> and whenever you have two opposing viewpoints. People dig in. Have you have you seen this new um, documentary about um, William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal and the debates? No, they I've had? heard about it. Is it any good? It's great. It's really interesting. Debates they had during the 1968 election. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I mean, I've watched some of those debates, but yeah, it's intense. Yeah, particularly the one where Buckley threatens to punch Vidal. Yeah, that was pretty he calls him a queer and says, <laughs> I'll, "I'll sock you in the face and you'll stay plastered." You'll stay like plastered. It's, it's weird because it's you'll so stay plastered. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's spectacular, and it's such a like it's so in the the speak of the day. You know, like nineteen sixty eight. The, the Brahmin accent. It's it's, yeah. it's great. Like it's almost British accent. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's really interesting. And then, but the these. I mean, it's that thing, this uh, my team versus that team. And uh, I think the left is guilty of it as much as the right is guilty of it. It seems like it's it's a, a real issue where there's a lot of people that have ideas and opinions that sort of cross party lines. But uh, they vote on one side or another and they vote for their team. I think that's right. I think that, especially in this last election, I think that was true. I think that people felt so alienated by the other side. Like, to understand a lot of people who voted Trump, you have to understand that there are a lot of people in the country who felt insulted by the left. They were just sick of being called racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes every time someone wanted to advance a policy on the left. And so they said, okay, screw that. At least Trump's not calling me that. Right. So I'll do that. And then there are a bunch of people on the left who now feel insulted by Trump's even presence. And they think all the people who voted for Trump are those people. And so they're fighting racism, sexism, bigotry, and homophobia by voting against Trump. Again, I, we go back to this. And there, there's a hardening of, of it, there's not one bubble in the country. There's two. You know, the right likes to accuse the left of being in a bubble in, in the coast. There's, there's a bubble on the right, too, which is the idea that everybody on the, every piece of the media is lying to you. Right? The New yeah. York Times is always fake news. Everything is fake news. You don't right. like it, it's fake news. These bubbles are not healthy for the republic. I mean, we can't have conversations with each other if we, if we do this routine. No, deception is not healthy across the board. And there's another thing that's going on where everybody's a Nazi. Like, I've never heard people called a Nazi more than I have over the last six months. I mean, it's been crazy. If you support Trump, you're a Nazi. You're a neo-Nazi. You're... Mm-hmm. you're Somehow or another, you're a fascist. If you didn't vote for Hillary, you're a Nazi. Like some right. people have boiled it down to like the the purest form. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, first of all, it demonstrates tremendous historical ignorance. Forget the yeah. Holocaust. Like you, you just look at what who Hitler was and the policies he promulgated. Like he was basically 
he was all over the place. When he wanted mm-hmm. to talk to socialists, he was a socialist. When he wanted to talk to capitalists, he was a capitalist. He was he was a top down government guy for sure, but he would speak the language of of you know what would be considered the European far right today uh, on a lot of on a lot of issues. But then he would talk about redistribution of resources and universal health care and all this kind of stuff and removing guns. It, but he's just a convenient club. I mean, it's just a convenient club because then. And then this is the part that scares me. Once you say that somebody is Hitler, then it actually becomes obligatory to physically resist them. Then we can't, you can't have a conversation with Hitler. Yeah, right? Like right, Once you right. say somebody's Hitler or the KKK, yeah. what are you going to do? Let, have a conversation with them? At the very least, you won't talk with them. And at the most, you might try to punch them. That is really a problem with that, those, the nomenclature, right? That's really a problem with identifying someone in that way. That they they are someone that you have to resist, and they are someone who cannot be reasoned with. They are someone who is absolutely evil. There's no like variables or variance in their behavior. And and listen, I like fiery political rhetoric. I find it fun. But I think right. that once once you label somebody, you know, completely evil, you 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 have a responsibility not to debate with them. You have a responsibility right. not to talk with them. Even the conversation legitimizes them. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of shit from people for even having me on because the idea is going to be, well, how could you have on somebody like Shapiro? You're legitimizing his point of view by having him on. I know a lot of people who I politically disagree with who have had that experience. Well, they'll have me on their show, and it's like, how dare you have Shapiro on because you're just granting him cover. You know, like, or we can just have a conversation, and maybe we'll disagree, and maybe we'll agree. Yeah, I really don't give a fuck about those people. I think <laughs> that's a silly conversation. I, I feel like you should talk to everybody, and if you disagree or agree, I have friends on that. I, I my friend yesterday I had on Eddie Bravo. He believes in everything's a fucking conspiracy. I disagree with him wildly, and I love him like a brother. I don't think you have to agree with people, and I don't think you have to. I, at the idea that you can't just have a conversation with someone about something and see if you can find middle ground or see if you could clearly define their point of view or find their perspective. That's missing today in a weird way. And one of the weirdest things about the election was the ping pong match between the left and the right as played out on national television by the media. I would watch, especially cable news, I would watch Fox News and then go to CNN and go back and forth, Mm -hmm, flip channels. mm -hmm. You know, you have that previous channel button on the DirecTV. I would just put it on both of them and go, what? What? What's really happening? It's two different worlds. My mom said this in 2012 with Romney and and Obama. If you read the right-wing media, there was no way Romney was going to lose. And if you read the left-wing media, there was no way Romney was going to win. And she said, which one of these do I believe? And I said, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Like, I have a basic rule, which is that if you have a New York Times report, and then you have a report from my site, The Daily Wire, and they share the facts, you can probably assume the facts are true. But the opinions that are, you know, embedded with the facts, those are opinions. Right. And that's what's, what's so hard about, I think, the modern media landscape is trying to separate the facts from the opinion. And so this is why when Trump says fake news, he's not wrong that CNN hates him and the New York Times hates him. He's right about that. But just labeling it all fake news is inaccurate also because most of what they're reporting is true, right? It's just that it's biased. Something can be both true and biased. I'm true and biased, right? I say things that I think are factual, but I'm obviously conservative. That's my point of view, you know? Tough shit. So yeah. that's and you're a commentator. I mean right. that's what you do. I mean, half of it is, you know, riling people up, saying provocative things. I mean, that's that's This is and this is where I think the right is correct about CNN and the New York Times and, and some of the other networks. Like though if you ask the right, what pisses you off more? CNN or the MSNBC? Most people on the right will say CNN, not MSNBC. Because MSNBC is honest enough to say we're on the left and mm. CNN pretends we have no bias. We're right. above all that. 
Same thing with the New York Times. You know, we're above all that. And then they run the most egregiously biased headlines. And we go, well, that, if they're lying about that, they're lying about everything. You know, one of my, fast, my most fascinating characters of this whole play was Scott Adams. And uh, particularly because Scott Adams, when I had him on my podcast, he was saying he doesn't even vote. Yeah. And he was like, what I, am, what I am paying attention to, he goes, I am uh, a trained hypnotist, and I'm paying attention to the powers of persuasion, and I'm looking at trends, and I'm making some predictions that turned out to be accurate. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's looking at Trump, and he's not talking about Trump in these glowing terms. He's talking about him as being an effective persuader. And he lost millions of dollars because of that opinion. Talking about a guy that he's not even going to vote for. I mean, this is all leading up to the election where people were fucking furious at him. Yeah. And even more furious at him after Trump won because he would do those coffee with Scott things where he does on Periscope mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where he wakes up and he just starts asking, asking questions. And he's so measured and calm. And I did, he had a, a podcast recently with Sam Harris where I think he was just like a little too far over the edge of apologizing for some some of Trump's behavior and mm-hmm. and sort of attributing some of Trump's behavior to that you could say was incompetence and attributed to like some 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 sort of a master plan. This is, this is my was, only quarrel with Scott I think is that he he tends to believe that everything Trump does is 987 degree underwater upside down hungry hungry hippos. Like everything is just <laughs> <laughs> it's all just acts of genius and it's three steps yeah, down the road and yeah. I, you know, instead of like no. stumbling his way to victory. I, okay, I I knew Everyone involved in the campaign, like every single person who was involved in the campaign, I knew this was a stumble their way to victory. Like it is amazing. The minds, human beings are. We we need to think. It's it's sort of like the Joker says in the Dark Knight. We need to think there's a plan. We always need to think there's a plan. And so if Trump won, it must be because there was some master plan that he unveiled over the course of the campaign. Three weeks before the election, he was caught on tape saying that he wanted to grab women by the p word. No, there was no master plan. Right. Okay, it's just that Hillary was an awful candidate and no one liked her. Okay, the, the, the idea that, that Trump was like, even the idea that there was like broad national movement for Trump that wasn't there for other candidates. He won fewer votes in Wisconsin than Mitt Romney did and he won the state. And that's because no one liked Hillary. I mean, this is the untold story of the election right. is this was not a referendum on Donald Trump. This was a referendum on Hillary Clinton, particularly in the heartland, and people hated her guts. Right, Barack Obama won Ohio walking away. Everyone talks about Michigan and, and Pennsylvania and, and Wisconsin. Nobody talks about Ohio. Trump won Ohio walking away. One of the reasons he won Ohio walking away is because in 2012, Barack Obama really drove out the black vote. The, the percentage of the black vote typically in Ohio, it's like 10% of the general vote. In 2012, it was like 13 to 15% of the general vote. And that was the entire margin of victory for Obama in the state of Ohio. Hillary got you know closer to sort of the traditional percentages, and she lost in a whopping blowout in Ohio. No one likes Hillary Clinton. And the left was so arrogant that they thought, we can take the most unpopular, unlikable, unqualified, nasty, boring human being anyone has seen for 20 years, and we'll run her. She's the one we'll run. But do, do you, you understand how incompetent they... you have to lo- how incompetent you have to be to lose to a celebrity game show host? <laughs> like, like you have to suck at this in a royal manner. Well, I don't know now. Now that I think the floodgates are open, but do, don't you think Senator that Kid big, Rock, man? Yeah, Kid let's, Rock let's is going to win. Thing. Apparently, he's like way ahead. Well, so the, so he, he's going to win the primary. If he didn't win the primary, <laughs> then he would have to run as an independent. Then he'd be Indy Rock, Kid right? Rock. <laughs> Kid Rock is going to win the primary. Oh, well, we can only hope that once he's in the office, he grows into it and he becomes adult Rock. How has Ted Nugent not run for office yet? That's what I want to know. How's uh, he not? You know, Nugent, I, I saw Nugent him, Rock. Giving a conversation about running for president, 
you know, and that, you know, if the people really wanted it, he would do it. And I was like, oh, good Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I just oh. can't wait for the Rock Oprah. You know, the Rock might win. The Rock might win. I'm, he's a hey, beautiful it, it, man. It, if Oprah ran in 2020, yeah, she the Rock with Oprah. It's a fucking dual slam ticket. dunk. Oh man, yeah, the Rock and Oprah together. So I have this weird idea that we should actually reinstitute a monarchy, and it should just be ceremonial, and they can be a celebrity, right? We'll just make okay. a celebrity monarch. Okay, and that person will just be there to look pretty and be sort popular. of like the Queen of England, exactly. But don't like, really have anything. Effect no power. On policy. No power right. because. We keep conflating the presidency with, like, who actually has to do things. Right. With, like, people who we want to represent the country. Yeah, we have and, a popularity contest to see who gets to control the nukes, which is insane. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. I think that, you know, this is, we all think in, in cinematic terms now, and, you know, Hollywood is run by the, the dopiest jackasses. Like, I grew up with all these people. <laughs> right. These are not people who you want controlling the narrative. And then we're like, you know what, let's take, if Tom Hanks would only run. If Tom, H- <laughs> what makes you think Tom Hanks would be a good president? Like, did you look at Trump and you went, "God, he's doing such a brilliant job"? What we really need now is the guy from Castaway. What we need is an actor again. We did well with Reagan. We need right. another actor. We did great with Schwarzenegger as the governor. Like, at least Reagan was governor for twenty years before he before he was the president of the United States. I mean, like, let, let's let's right. put him let's put him through the ringer. I mean, Schwarzenegger proved in eight years that he was not capable of doing anything except kind of sucking. Well, you ever heard him talk about it? The way it, from his perspective, he's like, you don't really understand how much red tape and bullshit you have to go through. He goes, I would meet with people and they would agree with me that it's a good idea. However, they would say my voters are never going to agree with it, so I'm going to oppose it. So yeah. even though I know you're right, there's a bunch of farmers that are going to be mad at me for doing that, so I'm not going to do that. Well, this is the other thing in politics that really drives me nuts. So there are two promises that politicians make that are complete bullshit. The, the first promise they make is, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C., and I'm going to get things done. No, you're not. Okay? The, the, system, the system is built for gridlock. It's built for gridlock. It's why right. we have two separate houses of Congress. It's why we have a president who can veto. It's why we have a Supreme Court that rules on cases. It's built for gridlock. It's why we have states that are supposed to be able to check the federal government. All this is in the Federalist Papers. It was built for gridlock. And some people are happy with that because I, that's how Trump is being like sidelined at every time he I mean, tries to make honestly, something really important happen. I think we all should be happy with that because the only way things were supposed to get passed was with wide public support. Right, which is probably a good thing. We don't want the government shifting wildly and veering on its axis every four years or every two years. I like the gridlock. My big problem is that the gridlock now protects a, a huge system that I don't like that's been built up over 100 years in, in the case of growth of government. But I like the gridlock. But that's one promise that's made. And then people are disappointed. Oh, if we get in there, we're going to repeal Obamacare. It's like, no, you're not. You're not. I mean, like, you, you can promise it, but now you're not going to do it because you were full of crap when you said it. And now you're not going to do it. And the gridlock is there, and it's hard to change things. You know, it's, it takes a tremendous effort of will and electoral power to, to actually change things in a big way. So this idea, we'll elect Trump, and Trump, like Trump would say, it's all going to be so easy. It's like, no, it's not. It's, it wasn't easy for Obama. Obama passed Obamacare, and that was it for his presidency. He didn't do anything for the next six years. Right? Like, there were no major pieces of legislation. Nothing happened after that. He lost Congress, and that was it. Okay, so that's promise number one. The other promise is... Your anger is justified, and this is the one I hate even more. And that is the idea that, you know, in in regular life, when you have kids, I have kids, when your kid is angry, the first thing you have to teach your kid is maybe you're wrong to be angry sometimes. Right? Your anger is not justified. If you want to make good human beings, you have to determine whether they are right to be angry. Is, Is your anger correct? Politicians are in the business of justifying people's anger. Oh, you heard this about the Trump voter a lot, right? They're so angry. They're so angry. Okay, well, I'm angry too about things, but are they angry about the right things? Right, like, and Trump would say, you're right to be angry because you've lost your job in Podunk, Ohio, because it's being stolen by the Chinese or by the Mexicans or something. And it's like, well, is that factually true or are you just 
are just pandering to the anger. And on the left, you hear people say this to, to black folks in the inner city. It's the system that's keeping you down. It's a racist, white supremacist system that's keeping you down. Say, well, is that true? Or are you just pandering to the voter? Because it's hard to tell people hard truths like you're not right to be angry. Get off your ass and do something with your life. And this is true for regardless of race. You know, go out there. No one cares enough to stop you in your life. Your life is your own. No one in the United States cares about you, wants to stop you, wants to throw obstacles up in your own way. I'm not sure you can win an election on the basis of go live your own life, even though everyone keeps claiming they want to live their own life. I think most people are full of it. I think most people don't want to live their own life. They want a politician to tell them that all of their complaints about life being unfair are justified, and the politician's going to solve all that. We don't want people who stay out of our way. We want people to be mommy. Mm. And, and, you know, that's, that's attempting attempting proposition for politicians. Well, there's certain a lot of that when you're talking to adults because you're dealing with people that have the momentum of all their failures and their life and all the different things that are not going right. And then here they are at this moment today, right now, and they want to figure out why and why they're not on track and how, how to get on track. And the easiest way is to point the finger or blame someone else. And everybody has their own hand. I'm not saying that people's hands are, are fair and that you know one no. person doesn't have it easy. A lot of people that have it easy. I have it easier than a lot yeah, of people, for sure. For sure. For sure. Mean, absolutely. But the reality is there's a tremendous amount of psychological factors that go into why someone does or does not succeed and to placate them or to, you know, to, to play on those psychological factors as, you know, not being their own fault. It's very tempting because it works with people. People love to hear that. They love to hear that it's not your fault. Yep. And I think that's what politicians have become in the business of doing. And it's both right and left. It's, yeah. it's people saying that it's, it's not your fault because you're being screwed by some foreign country. It's not your fault because the immigrants are doing it to you. Yeah. Um, it's not your fault. Well, maybe some maybe some of that's true, but you have to show me why it's true. You have to show me what the actual, like, did you lose your job because of, because of China? Or did you lose your job because you're in an industry that is being crowded out because of technological change and because your union struck and created wages too high to be globally competitive? Like, Let's look at the actual logic here as to, and, how, and then how can we change it? How can we right. make it better? How can we, is it something we have to do or is it a matter of you need to broaden your skill set? Like you see a lot of people now who are stuck in the mindset of 30 years ago that you're going to work a job and stay there for 20 years and then you're going to, and then you're going to you know, leave with a gold watch. And right. that's not the way the job market works anymore. I mean, if you're, no. if you're entering the job market right now as a college student, you can expect that in the next 10 years, you'll probably work four jobs. You know, like the, the turnover is too great and you have to be constantly increasing your skill set. Also, with every new innovation, there's businesses that b branch out and become new. And then there's also businesses that die and there's no bringing them back. You're not going to bring back the printing press. Exactly. You know, you're, there's a lot of stuff that. But people, for the guy in the printing press industry, yeah. you tell him that. Try right. to get elected from the printing press guy. Well, right? I mean, right now they're trying to stop automated cars. I mean, that, right. that is. I mean, there was a, there was a vote, right? Wasn't there a, a vote like within the last day or two, to uh, try to block automated uh, trucks? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a tremendous amount of people that that's the what they do industry. for a living. Yeah. But. It's going to be a lot more efficient when it's not people. And, you know, th this is the great fallacy that people have been trying to fight since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution is this idea, okay, well, the new technology is going to kill jobs and then no one will ever work again. Right. Like we've had the same unemployment rate in this country for the last hundred years, and it the technology is a little bit better. Teamsters convince Congress to block driverless trucks. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. That's huh. crazy. Seems crazy. It seems like you're fighting an inevitable tide. Well, I mean, imagine that... Like, how is that going to work for all the other industries that are affected? Let's say that you now have, you're, you're artificially raising the prices of all the goods that now have to be brought in by the Teamsters, and now it's more expensive, so it's more money out of your pocket and my pocket. 
That's well, that's money that I'm maybe I was willing to buy American, but now I'm going to buy Chinese because I have to feed my family. Like this is. That's not how economics works. It's just not how economics is works. Is there any argument that they're not ready yet, that these trucks yeah, aren't viable? They, so that, that's one of the issues is that with, with a lot of the – so the automated trucks basically in order for them to work, you need dedicated lanes mm. because otherwise human error is, is such right. that if like if there's a Google car on the road and you're a bad driver, the Google car is probably going to get in a crash or might be yeah. more likely to get in a crash than, than if it were a human driving. Have you ever seen people freak out those Tesla cars? Uh, Have you seen what they could do to them? I, I, I haven't. I haven't seen those tests. I actually saw somebody do it to a Google car. When you're uh, when a car is on that automated thing, if you just swerve at it, mm-hmm. they slam on the brakes and back up on you. Like people have done it to people and filmed it when mm-hmm. they see people using automated cars. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it, it's not done. It's not. No, it's no, not no, 100% no, 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 no. Ready? Yeah, it's it, the mix again. It, it's sort of like uh, how. There's a lot of fuel-efficient lighter cars on the road, but they're a lot more dangerous than the heavier cars because the heavier cars, the clunkers, are still around from 1970 in their tanks. Yeah. They just run through three Priuses. How do you feel about universal basic income? Because that's a subject that comes up a lot lately when Elon Musk is talking about these driverless cars. One of the things he's saying is that one thing that we're going to need is universal basic income. He said we're going to have to figure out some way to feed all these people that are going to get taken out of the job market because their jobs have become irrelevant. So I think that Universal basic income is for when the technology gets so good that there legitimately are no jobs. I don't think that we're there yet. So if you have a machine that can make everything basically for free, and then there's a bunch of people who you don't need anymore to do work, then you can talk about a universal basic income because there's no scarcity. Scarcity is what creates a need for labor. So if there's scarcity in any industry, then there's going to be a need for for labor. There's going to be need for new labor. People are going to still have to you know, work on these trucks and deal with technology and the computer industry didn't destroy jobs all over the United States when typewriters went out. So I think it's a little premature. I'm not sure there will ever be a day when there's a machine that when the machine society is so well developed that it can take over all jobs. I do think you're seeing a bifurcation in the labor market. So I think people who are in jobs like yours and mine, like we're lucky. This is a creative job. It's hard for machines to create. But for jobs that are single task jobs, a lot more of those are going to be technologically driven. And so people are going to have to you know, work the right side of their brain a little bit. We're going to have to train people in a different way. But my, my perspective on universal basic income is when you have a 4% unemployment rate, it's very difficult to say you need a universal basic income. Like right. it's Again, 96% of people in the labor market who can work are working. So that's not, that's, not, that's not suggesting to me that there's this vast underclass of people who are totally incapable of working. And once you do that, you see what you've seen actually with the disability programs in the United States, right? Where now everybody's on disability. Like the fastest growing government program in America is the disability program, where people declare themselves disabled so that they can get government pensions, basically. Once you have a universal basic income, is there an incentive to work? And also, I'm not sure that you've solved a lot of people's problems. Like people still see, need something to do with their day. Yeah, but I mean, the idea How many 60-year-olds do you see who retire and they're dead within three years? The utopian idea is that somehow or another you're going to open up these people's uh, inherent creativity and they'll find something yeah, this they is a actually bunch of, enjoy. Yeah, that's a bunch of hooey. I mean, how many people say, like, <laughs> again... I love that you said hooey. What yeah. are you, like 32? <laughs> how old are you, man? I'm 33, yeah. <laughs> when you're 33 and you're using the term hooey. Yeah. I love it. It's, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm never... I hope I never retire because... I just know too many people who retire, and they're, oh, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to golf, and I'm going to paint. I'm going to create. Die. And six months later, they're, they're dead. They're dead. Yeah. Well, people enjoy doing things and feeling like they're valuable. 
you know, and I don't know if that necessarily has to be a job, but it's a very clear, definitive test of whether or not you're valuable. If somebody gives you money and you get that money and you're like, look, I'm valuable, I'm doing something, I'm contributing, I got a check for my week's exactly. worth. There's, a, there's yeah. a lot of hours in the day, and it's going to be hard to fill that with watercolor painting and beat poetry classes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'd find shit to do, but I see, but I... I've been fairly self-employed most of my life. Yeah, I think I just I've gotten into some people the, are driven. Like I would find stuff to do too, yeah. but it's there is a difference, and you know, not all human beings are, are the people who would actually go out and take classes and find things to do. Do you have aspirations outside of commentary when it comes to politics? Maybe some point down the road. Do you think you run for president or something like that? I mean, apparently anyone can, I and mean, this is what I'm finding for out. Sure. So, um, but you're a reasonable guy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I. I I like what I'm doing in the sense that I get to work on what people believe, which I think is sort of the root of, of mm -hmm. politics. Um, I'm not sure implementing is the same thing. As I said, I'm not sure that the president can get, like, I'm more focused on getting people to think in the terms that I'd like them to think, you know, about limited government and you taking control of your own life. And I might be able to do more good, you know, promulgating that message using a growing medium. Like, we're, we're very lucky. I mean, our, the podcast went from having 3,000 listeners you know, uh, 300 episodes ago to now we have 300,000 listeners a day, you know, so it's, it's, it continues to grow. So as that crowd continues to grow, it's actually harder for me to say I'd, I'd want to jump into politics, not easier, I think. The limited government thing to me has always been a fascinating subject because the people that don't want limited government, they're always, that is the utopian ideal in my mind, that yep. somehow or another the government's going to be effective if you give them more money. Like I, I, well, this I is, had an argument with a friend where he wanted people to be taxed more because he felt like that money could be distributed to people and you would get like more funding for the arts was one of his arguments. But it, my my thought was like, first of all, the arts like when they're value when people like them they pay for them. Yep, like, that's not yep. good. And funding for the arts means you're gonna have like fucking LACMA, like you go to the L.A. <laughs> County Museum of Art and you have a fucking box on the ground that someone's it? calling a piece of art. That's did you see that that guy? I think he went to. It was either in San Francisco or LACMA, where he went there and he took off his glasses and he just put them on the floor and then he stood next to them, going, you know, kind of standing yeah. there and kind of stroking his chin. So there were thirty people all around him, staring <laughs> at the glasses on the floor. It's like it's amazing. Yeah, it's fucking horseshit, right? That the modern art exhibits like there's there was another one recently where someone like left behind a pineapple or something. Yeah, this like is the. That. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's crazy. It really is crazy, and it's also pretentious, and it's also uh, stoking those fires of pretension and making something that's not legitimately creative, making it uh, celebrated because you don't really have the ability to create something that's legitimately creative. Yeah, yeah. I was I was pointing this out today with regard to it's it's funny how a lot of people who want bigger government they embrace states that start to grow the government, and then when things go to shit, they're like nowhere to be found. Yeah. So Venezuela is the most obvious example, right? Venezuela has turned from what was the richest country in South America and had the best oil reserves of anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, basically. They've turned it into just a garbage heap. People waiting in lines. I have a friend named Nami Horowitz who went down there, did some documentary stuff down there. And he was, I think his cameraman got shot. He was, he was watching people, like, literally shooting dogs in the streets for food. And this is, I mean, it's, Caracas is the most violent city in the Western Hemisphere now. And all of this is because Hugo Chavez was a piece of garbage who centralized all power to himself, redistributed the wealth to all of his friends and cronies, and then... And then supposedly uplifted the poor, except that now everyone is poor. Wait a right? minute, and wasn't he friends with Sean Penn? So, I don't even know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so on my show today, I played like Sean Penn and Jesse Jackson, and the, and uh, 
that freak Jeremy Corbyn, who's the head of the Labour Party in Great Britain, and they're all just praising Chavez, right? Uh, he's a great guy. He was a hero to the poor. And now Venezuela's going to shit. And where are all these people? Like, wh- wh- would someone stick a camera in Sean Penn's fl- face, like, now? And just ask Sean Penn. So, like, five minutes ago, you were saying this was awesome. Well, there's got to be some sort of a left response for that. Like, what is, what is their take on the, why the, it the all no went tru- bad? Well, it's the no true Scotsman fallacy, right? They, oh, well, you know, this is them living on. It's because they never really got rid of enough private industry. If they'd just gone uh, further, it would have been better. It's like, well, the Soviet yeah. Union didn't work out that great either. But, like, I, got, I actually got a response. It was really funny. Today, I tweeted out. That according to the World Bank, Venezuela has one of the least income unequal societies on earth. So it's actually pretty income equal, right? Because nobody has anything, right? And the and it's garbage. And so the the socialist, the official socialist party tweeted me, and they said this is because socialism has never truly been tried. <laughs> okay, dude. All right. Sure. Why not? Uh, well, that the the wonderful idea of socialism is that it's going to even everything out, and that you shouldn't get paid more. For that, no one should get paid more, and that everyone should have some sort of a like a a, a peak that you could reach, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's some sort of competition involved. There's got to be some. There's got to be some sort of incentive, but only so much, right? This is like the Bernie Sanders. This is democratic socialism. Yes. Like formal socialism is the state owns the whole thing, but democratic socialism is there's private industry, but only to a certain point, and then we tell people no, no yeah, but more. But then you find out about Bernie and his wife, and his wife's idea was to buy up a bunch of land and expand the college, and then the fucking college went under, and now they're being sued. Two vacation homes. Yeah, come on, man. It's, 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 it's all based on, on a lot of myth-making about, like, Western Europe and, and uh, the Netherlands, right? So there, there's all this talk, oh, these democratic socialist countries, they're working great. First of all, a car in Denmark has a 60% import tax. It costs literally twice what it would cost in the United States. Tax rates in Denmark are insane, except for corporate taxes, which the left in the United States really... You know, they love corporate taxes. They want those higher. Denmark has some of the lowest corporate taxes and regulations in the industrialized world. So everybody is coming in and investing in Denmark. It's only the citizens who are getting screwed by paying for this giant welfare state. Then their GDP tanked. And now they've had to elect right-wing governments to slash back the the level of government. I mean, it turns out that capitalism is the great engine that drives – like Singapore is – there's nothing on Singapore. right? Singapore is like a rock. Okay, so it, 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 there's nothing there. Singapore has one of the most powerful economies on earth because they basically have no business regulations, no taxes, and, and no tariffs. It's like you can do whatever you want. And when people can do whatever they want, they make a lot of mutually beneficial exchanges. End of story. This is not that difficult. But it, but it is difficult if you think that life is unfair, right? So what would you propose? Like, what would you propose for the United States? Like, the United States, obviously, um, what Trump wants to do is reinvigorate manufacturing, make things uh, in America again, uh, bring back the labor force, make uh, take away the jobs that are going to uh, overseas yeah. and other countries in South America. Uh, so I think that that's a bunch of slogans from him, and I right. don't think it means anything. So, so, number one, I don't think a manufacturing job is more important than a tech job. Right. Okay, a job is a job, and in industries that are thriving, you actually need more jobs, and in industries that are not doing as well, if the jobs you know, disappear, that's just the wages of a global economy. Uh, and that's, I know that sounds harsh to people who are in those industries, but it's not a referendum on you or your value. It's just saying that certain industries over time always you know, are outsourced. Like, we used to make T-shirts in the United States. We don't make T-shirts. We make them in Vietnam, and it costs us like five bucks. Right, so so the so my view is, I'm not going to privilege one. I understand that a lot of this is politics. You want to favor manufacturing bases because there are a lot of manufacturing hubs in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. But and they vote. Since I don't care, right? Since I'm not right. a politician, my view is that if you want a thriving economy, you relieve as much regulation as possible. You lower the taxes for everyone, personal and corporate. You attract as much foreign investment as possible, and you allow people to build businesses with as little risk as possible. And then 
you allow them to compete. And if they succeed, they succeed. And if they fail, they fail. And you get rid of tariffs as well because I want cheap inputs for my products. And I want cheap products on the shelves at the store so I don't have to pay a bajillion dollars for a pair of shoes. So I'm, I'm, my view of, of this is that economics is an element of freedom. I am a free person. I get to do with my money what I damn well please. And you don't get to stand in my way unless there is some sort of moral thing, right? Like if, if you want to say, let, let's, put sanctions on, let's put sanctions on Iran, let's put sanctions on China, right? China's funding North Korea right now. It hurts our national security. We want to put sanctions on China to try and pressure them into ending North Korea. That's a national security thing. But the idea that, like today, Trump rolled out this new plan on immigration. And he says, I want to cut down on legal immigration. But the reason is because I want to raise wages of people in the United States. And I think, well, that's not productive because what you're actually doing is you're restricting the supply of labor, artificially increasing the wages, which artificially increases prices, which means it's not competitive on a global scale, which means the companies outsource. Right? It's the exact same thing as minimum wage. You create a minimum wage, you're artificially increasing wages, that increases prices, that makes it non-competitive, people outsource. So it actually achieves the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. All government intervention in the economy, save for interventions that are designed to prevent externalities, you know, things that I do that hurt you, all of those are unjustified in my view. What about environmental protection? So those are externalities, right. right? So like if I were to pollute a river, I, it's not my river, I don't get to pollute it. Right. I don't get to throw my trash over my fence into your yard, right? That's, that's, that's a different thing. That's it. Yeah, that's one of the most disturbing things about this administration is the cutting the funding for the Environmental Protection Agency and the changing of their standards, removing um, some of the funding for things like satellites that they're using to track the climate change mm-hmm. and things along those lines. And I, I, that that scares the shit out of me. Like, it scares the shit out of me that they're going to ignore the environment in favor of the economy. So I think that some of the environmental regulations are badly drawn. Right. And some of them are overwrought when it comes to, for example, fracking. You know, Obama you know, pushed a lot of environmental regulations on fracking or the Keystone XL pipeline, that kind of thing. How do you uh, feel about fracking? Uh, I'm, I'm very much in favor of fracking. But what do you think about like when the, you hear stories about more earthquakes happening and uh, instable uh, so, water supplies, right, the water so, tables? So from, from what I've seen, the, the earthquake evidence is extraordinarily weak. Um, and, yeah, that, I mean, from what I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm again. If you present me evidence that I find convincing, I'm happy to change my mind on this. Right. Um, and uh, as far as the as far as water pollution, again, the evidence has been pretty weak. So, if that changes, then I'm happy to regulate. Uh, it, as far as when you say it's been weak, there's there has been instances of fracking leading to pollution, right? Sure. But that's not every fracking leads to pollution. Right. And so, so the question like is, how, how many, broad is the regulation, or how many are you willing to accept? Right, which is the truth for all business, right? right. I mean, like how much we all drive cars, how much we'll pollution are you willing to... water bottles, somewhere there's a seagull choking on a cap. Correct. So like right. how much are you willing to accept? Like what I don't appreciate is when people kind of futz the evidence when it's like, oh, well, I set my, set my water on fire because of fracking. It's like, right. well, no, that's not because of fracking. That's because of the groundwater. But in any case, the, you know, as far as the satellites and, and global warming, um, listen, I think that it's pretty clear that the climate is is warming i mean the greenhouse gas effect is a thing the question to me is less whether it's happening and more what are you going to do about it because even the left seems to have no real solutions as to what to Mm. do except for massively cutting economic growth and it seems to me that if we're talking about an increase according to the ipcc of something like seven degrees fahrenheit over the course of the next century uh then on average right not not universally on average um then it seems to me that it's easier to just say that the climate changes over time and maybe cities that are on the coast are going to have to pull back a little bit over time. Like a hundred years is a long time. A hundred years ago, we would have said that the, the pollution was the chief 
thing to worry about in the United States because we were all using smokestacks and, yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. And and now not really even through regulation, but just through market competition, uh, you've gotten better environmental products. Right. So I, I think that the market does take care of a lot of these things. People don't actually want to live in in human waste. You know, like we we actually don't want to do that. So. You know what's been disturbing me recently is how many times I see Bill Nye on TV talking about climate change. Well, and, he, he's and, a, he, again. He's he has the same qualifications I do. I mean, he has like a mechanical engineering degree. Yeah, in, well, he's, isn't Cornell he kind of a comedian? Yeah, I mean, he, I he, think he is from like, my childhood. Yes, I believe he was like a comedian. He's a stand-up guy. Yeah, yeah, and he does. Well, did you ever see his his thing with Tucker Carlson? Yes, which was great. Yeah, Tucker Carlson kept saying, "Okay, but you're talking about science, so tell me how much of an effect do human beings have on climate change, and what what is what's the science? Show right. me." And all he wanted to say was that, you know, are you a... Consensus climate? settled. Yeah, yeah exactly. And but like, it, what, is, what is the difference? Or give How me a range. How much is changing? Yeah. Right, give me a range. Like, yeah. I, it doesn't even have to be an exact number, but give me a range and then tell me, okay, what do we have to do in order, in your opinion, in order to stop the climate change right. where it stands? Or if we can't do that in order to minimize it, what's the actual risk also? Like, people keep giving these catastrophic scenarios where it looks like the day after tomorrow and right. Dennis Quaid running into subways and shit. And well, one like, of the weirder ones he said was that we were supposed to have an ice age. Now that's not going to happen. Like, Jesus Christ, man, that's good. Yeah. You know, Randall Carlson, who's been on my podcast a few times, and he's a, an expert in collisions and asteroidal mm -hmm. collisions. And one of the things he said is like, he goes, global warming is not great. He goes, but it's way better than global cooling. This is true. This is true. Global, I mean, the, the, global cooling kills everybody. The, right. The, the Little Ice Age was, was not a good thing for the world. No. I mean, the, 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 the global warm period was actually a pretty good thing for the world. So, I mean, this is, this is the other thing is that there are costs and benefits to the climate changing, which it, ha which it has throughout time. Right. What are we willing to sacrifice in order to, prevent, in order to make that seven degrees into six degrees? Right. And right? just losing some coastline is not the real issue. Like, I'm, I'm pollution sorry about, is far more devastating right. I mean, than you, losing coastline. So I think that if you're going to worry about the if you're going to worry about, you know, the, the emissions problem, worry about the the uh, the sea absorption of emissions, right? That yes. like like the toxification of the oceans. Like that seems yes. to me to be a bigger problem than the climate changing over yeah. time. We're pretty adaptable. Like there's a lot of land. Okay, so we move. We have historically Right. I mean, Venice, the, the sea level rises in Venice every year. People are going to move. I mean, yeah. like, that's just, that's the way it works. I'm, I'm so, I'm, there's this weird idea, and it's, it's true in economics, it's true with global warming, that where you were born is where you must die, hmm. right? And that you can never move. And it's like, well, this is the most mobile society in human history. We can yeah. get on a plane and be on the other coast in six hours. It, it, it's, it's easier to move than ever before. So if, if, we, if you really think that the climate is that bad, first of all, I'd like to ask Barbara Streisand if she's that deeply concerned about global warming, why she doesn't sell her coastline estate? Yeah, but it's it's like, am I going to lose a lot of sleep if a bunch of Hollywood stars lose you know five feet off their coastline because we didn't kill the industry of the United States and lose four trillion dollars a year? Like, no. And I'm not really sure that that would have worked that way one way or another. It has been absolutely proven that human beings are having an effect on the carbon dioxide levels. Of course. Right? Yeah, of course, yeah. 100%. And there's a greenhouse gas effect, sure. A hundred percent. So, there's... but the modeling's been so wrong that like. I want it, there's no level of certitude, and then there's no level of solution that I know for sure is going to do this. So you're talking about human beings suffering in the now for the later. And let's right. be real about this. Like, yes, there are a lot of emissions from the United States, but the leading emitters on the planet right now are China and India. 
And they're not going to stop this right. shit anytime soon. Like, that, that's not going to happen. Well, there's also this thing that happens where if you even discuss it, you become like a Hitler or a Nazi. You become a climate change denier. Denier. Mm-hmm. And once you get locked into one of those labels, you know, you, you're a piece of shit. Well, this is it and again. nobody yeah. wants to be locked into those labels. So they, didn't, they don't even want to have the discussion or the debate. And that's one of the things that I felt like Bill Nye was not prepared for because I felt like he's so lazy with this conversation because so many people just appease him and agree with it. Yeah, I think that's right. That when Tucker Carlson was challenging him on it, he didn't have any data to support this argument. He just wanted to sort of like play word games and and have this, you know, saying, well, you know, you guys on CNN, there was one time when, when they had some guy on who was saying exactly what we were saying, that the models... Uh, they have not been proven to be accurate, and that Al Gore's movie predicted that we'd be underwater in 2014. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, his, his predictions in that movie are not correct. Yeah, they're not correct at all. Mm-hmm. And he's made like some insane now, amount a, of money. There's a sequel of it. too. Yeah, he's I got mean, a sequel out this week. Isn't he like the first billion-dollar green guy? Yeah, like he's made a shitload of money off of giving these speeches and. Cap and trade, and yeah, yeah it, the whole thing is very strange because it it becomes this untouchable subject, like what we're talking about before with transgender people or with many other subjects. Become you can't discuss them; they're not even open to debate or scrutiny. They they become locked down. And when Tucker Carlson was pressing Bill Nye, like, what is what are the numbers? Like, what is happening? Tell me how much of an effect are we having? And Bill Nye had nothing on it, and he right. just became stammered and started getting angry. And it's like, wow, this is weird. Yeah. This is weird to see. I mean, if this is the cause of your life, you should know a little bit more about it than everyone who disagrees is a denier. And I think the way Tucker handled it was brilliant. I, I thought it, saying, it, was, it was Tucker's best moment, I think, on the show, yeah. I think so, too, because he was saying, essentially, he was like, I'm not denying it. I'm not saying it's not I just want you to tell me right, like, how much of me. an effect. Tell me. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he had nothing. It's like, so maybe Bill Nye's the wrong guy. To, right. to have there. But I mean, Bill Nye shouldn't be selling himself. Like, you can't have me come on a fucking show and talk about glo- global warming because I right. don't know anything about or, it. Or at the very least, Bill Nye should say, listen, the you know Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change did this study. Right. You can look up the numbers there. I don't have them off the top of my head. Or but have I'm, the numbers. Right. Have or, the fucking numbers. You're going to be on one of those shows? You're going to be on for seven minutes. So everybody in the media is lazy. <laughs> nobody yeah, actually, a lot of that. Nobody actually does their prep for debate or for TV appearances. Like Because the truth is, you think you're going to be on for five... Having done a thousand TV hits at this point, most people think, okay, I'm going to be on for five minutes. I can get through five minutes, right? Like, right. it won't be that bad if I'm on for 10 minutes. How bad can it be? And the answer is you can get pantsed on national TV yeah. in five minutes if the person knows what they're doing. Well, you've done that to many people. One of the things that I think is, do you talk fast always? Is yes. like you're born this way? Is yeah, this like everyone, in my family, everyone in my family talks this Your way. Your family just talks fast. Because yeah. I was wondering if this like, was a strategy to develop to be really good at those shows. No, no. It's, it's, it's been fortunate that it, that it fits that way. But yeah, even even my kids talk this way. Even the even the three year old talks. We this see way. some people that are just really good at ba 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 ba, and you, you you get them in the podcast. And after like Peter Schiff's a great example of that. Mm-hmm. After like twenty minutes, I'm like, you want a drink? Let's have some whiskey. We had a couple of glasses of clink. <laughs> cheers, and we settled down. And then he settled into like a normal way of talking. But he's just so used to like force feeding you facts yeah. and opinions, yeah. and ah, it's just uh, it's such an ineffective way to communicate with those three heads and the the one person who's the host, throw the Megan Kelly throwing a question, and then this person's talking over that person, and it's, it's such an ineffective way to communicate. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of the things that I do like about, you know, long-form podcasts like this one or like mine. I, I just, I, I like the ability to actually expand on a point. Yeah. On TV, it's like, okay, you have 30 seconds of a point, excellent. 
We can make that work for us. It's the only place left that you can do this, unless you're making YouTube videos, and you know Jordan Peterson is obviously finding out that that's a problem. Yeah. But unless you're Unless you're doing something along those lines where no one's there but you and you get to expand and express yourself, there's no other form of conversation like podcasts where you're not getting interrupted by a commercial, you're just talking, and you know as well as I know that conversations sort of evolve and move and they, you know, when I get to know you better, I see how you're thinking better and I kind of have more questions to ask and you expand more and you get to know a person for real and that's just, those those television shows are so... There, it's so divisive. I mean, in that honestly, way. I, it's hard for me to watch cable television because of that. I, I yeah. don't feel like I'm getting tons of information that way. Well, CNN had nine fucking people on the other day. It, it's crazy. The, the, yeah. the panel on CNN. It's like it's Hollywood Squares now. Yeah, Anderson Cooper standing, sitting there in the middle, and there's right. people, and then just people that it's are like, just. Oh, I made a diagonal. Cool. And they're interrupting each other and said, "Excuse me, while I talk, you, you mind not interrupting me for a moment?" Like they're they're grandstanding and trying to have this this point they think is going to be a zinger because they wrote it last night, and it's just like, oh. The best you can hope for is that you have 30 seconds where you say something that goes viral. That's basically the, yes. That, that's the extent of it. Yeah, well, you've done a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I won't say I'm good, not good at, at it. it. I'm good at no, it. No, <laughs> you're good at it. But we, it's like we were talking about before that a lot of the people that have debated you that are real, they're really fucking lazy. Like, like they have this supposed passion for something, but when it comes to preparing for this sort of interaction, they're not really doing that. They're well, not for sure. And I think that you know, part of that is. There are people who are experts on particular topics who could, I'm sure, know more about their specialty than I do on a lot of topics. Of like, course. if I were to discuss climate change with a person who is like an expert on climate change, I would not know as much as that person. Sure. But, you know, there are a lot of people who think they're generalists and have never read a book. Right. You know, like, I know one fact about one thing, and it's that you're a denier. Yeah. And, even, and I, well, I mean, if I know two, then I beat you. So right. That's, <laughs> well, that's the, so. the climate denier thing seems to me one of the laziest things about the left. And this is not saying that there's not some sort of a real issue with human waste, because I think there is. I think it's a, there's a giant issue with plastic in the ocean. There's a giant issue with pollutants in our water system, in our air. And there's a lot of issues with the side effects of being a person in the, an industrialized civilization. There's We, we burn things, we mm-hmm. create poisons, and we've got to figure out a way to be sustainable. I don't think there's any denying that by anybody. I think it's also worth noting the market makes these things better in many cases. I mean, mm. the fact is that if you look at the, the areas where, for example, everyone is down on carbon-based fuels. Okay, fair enough. But if you go to places that don't have carbon-based fuels, they're burning animal dung and wood. There's nothing worse for particulate than, right. than animal dung and wood. So as we get and if we if we did even better than than this, we would get to nuclear power, right? Which unfortunately a lot of people have banned because of unbased fears. Like most of France's electricity is provided by nuclear power and that's about as clean as it gets. So right. you know I, I do think until that, it goes dark. Well until it goes Fukushima. I mean, even even in worst case scenario at Fukushima, I mean if you're talking about the if you're talking about global warming and environmental damage, the amount of environmental damage supposedly done by carbon emissions is a lot larger than Fukushima. Right, but the so, local damage oh, yeah. is devastating. That's the disturbing thing that they don't have a way to stop that. That like they've figured out a way to like put a wall of ice around the <laughs> containment area and that didn't work. It seems so fucking science fictiony. Uh, they really don't know what to do. And uh, Yeah, I don't know enough about nuclear containment to take off on that one. But, nor do I. Uh, 
uh, let's just say that one disaster in and basically there have been three major disasters right Chernobyl Three Mile Island and Fukushima yeah uh, the only one that's happened the only, two of those three have happened in the first world right Fukushima and Three Mile Island Three Mile Island basically ended up having no long term impact so Fukushima is really the only major disaster in. 40 years of industrialized countries using nuclear power. Well, apparently they had some weird meltdowns here at Rocketdyne that oh, really? weren't really discussed. Yeah. And you I, don't tell about it? Well, they're, they're, you know, it's it was all during the 60s, uh, 50s or the 60s, when they were involved in the rocket program. But uh, the Rocketdyne stuff, uh, my friend's dad is a scientist, and he was explaining to me the half-life of whatever was released in the atmosphere. It's nothing to concern, but there's a bunch of uh, – Rocketdyne was like right down the street. There was a uh, bunch of um, articles that were uh, written about it, like worrying about people that have higher cancer rates in this area mm-hmm. and, you know. But there's also like – I think there's a website called The Sins of Rocketdyne. Really? Yeah. See if you can find that. I think there's a website dedicated to that, that people, but there's a lot of cancer just living in cities, man. Like they say that one of the worst environments for a human being is living in a place that has a lot of brake dust. Mm -hmm. Like if you're living in Manhattan and you got your window open, you're just inhaling particulates from people. There it is. The sins of rocket time. But the thing is, like, I mean, uh, how much more cancer are these people? This is from 2003. Yeah, so, sometimes the statistics on cancer are hard to, to correlate right. because it, because you'll have groupings that are sort of weird, and that's just because random statistical grouping happens. Mm-hmm. So how much of it is due to X factor or Y factor? Right. If we knew that, then presumably the cancer rates would be going down a lot. Uh, yeah. They haven't really in most cases. So it's pretty rare you have, like, a, a lung cancer situation where smoking obviously causes lung cancer. Right. Most cancers, like breast cancer, we have no idea why it happens. Well, so, also, the valley itself, like anything that happens in the valley, like you, when you drive from like Thousand Oaks over the hill and you look down at the valley, and you're like, Jesus, that can't be good. Yeah. No, no, so, I, I hear you. I've been flying into the valley my entire life. And every yeah. time you, you fly into the brown gunk soup yeah. that is that is the valley atmosphere, you think that's not great. Yeah. I mean, like, that, that is one area where obviously that? we have gotten better. I mean, the smog alerts yes. have gone down tremendously in the last 30 years. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot better. And but that's also one of the things that Donald Trump has uh, relaxed some of the uh, the standards. The right? case standards wasn't. Uh, it, I don't know if he really did. Wasn't uh, it emission standards he changed? The car emission standards? Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's again. I wonder how much of the car emission standards. Like there, there's a, there's a, actually a pretty thriving debate in the libertarian community, particularly about whether case standards are what drove greater fuel efficiency or whether it was the price of gas that drove greater fuel efficiency. Mm. That as the price of gas has has risen and fallen, you see people change their buying habits, right? In the 90s, everybody bought an SUV, right. and then the prices went up and everybody bought, bought a Prius. Well, the Prius thing is interesting, too, particularly like the Tesla thing, because then you look at the environmental disasters of creating these batteries. Yes. And you're like, oh, this is not totally green. Yeah. Like, there's some weird gray area, too. It's, it's pretty complex, and, and I think that... The one thing we know is that there are millions of people all over the world for all of human history who've been living in absolute penury and misery, and we now support 7 billion people on the planet, and the rate of global poverty has dropped by 50% in the last 30 years. A lot of that is technological change. A lot of that is fossil fuel use. And so before we, you know, we always have to, ban- these are two things that are worth thinking about balancing. Like, and, and this is what's, again, a little frustrating is that sometimes you see people on the environmental left who will say, well, this has to be done or it's the end of the world. And it's like, well, how about those people in developing countries? How many of those people are you going to say have to live in poverty in order for this to happen? Right. And then on the right, you'll see people say, well, no environmental regulations at all. Just let it all hash out. And, you know, sometimes the market hashes it out and sometimes the market doesn't hash it out. And so, you know, I think a little caution is warranted. 
I think that's a very reasonable point of view. And that's one of the things that I, I really like about your commentary. I know you're a, a right-leaning guy, but you're very reasonable. You, you make arguments that are sound and easy to trace. It makes sense. Well, thank uh, you. I appreciate it. I think we need more of that, you know, and I think that's, it's rare that you find that in a 33-year-old guy. That's uh, some strange sort of conservative character that travels around uh, clowning people, people at off, universities. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the Berkeley thing is going to happen. When is it going to happen? Uh, September 14th is the date it's supposed to happen. Dude, so. good luck with all that. Yeah, well, you know, if they cancel, we'll still go. Are you going to mm -hmm. go on a bulletproof Pope mobile? Yeah. Uh, the, hey, uh, he, he wears a funny hat and so do I. So I think we can both. Uh... <laughs> Yours is a little low profile, though. Yeah, we keep we keep it on the DL around here. When you uh, when you when you do show up at these places and you see the Antifa people and they're screaming and yelling and cheering and like that's got to be a surreal thing that it's just you and your thoughts and your opinion. I mean, you're not selling babies. You're not there slaughtering dogs in the Yulin Festival. You know? Exactly. It's weird. I think that. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not arrogant quite enough to think that a lot of those people know who I am. I think that what happens is that there's sort of a call that goes out from a select few saying, "This KKK member is coming to campus. Go, God. go, stop him." And that's what happened to Cal State LA. Like when I spoke there, there were actually a couple professors who were telling their students that I was a closeted member of the KKK. Meanwhile, you show up wearing a yarmulke. I'm their favorite person, the KKK. <laughs> I'm like a charter member. It's my thing. <laughs> I was, I was literally, in 2016, it was, it was hilarious. That year, I was, 2016 was a wild year. So, I was, so David Duke accused me of being a far leftist. Black Lives Matter accused me of being a member of the KKK. And I was the number one recipient of anti-Semitism from the, according to the Anti-Defamation League, I was the number one recipient of Twitter anti-Semitism in the United States for journalists last year. So it was a, it was a, I, ha, I do have a little trophy in my house. It's the most hated <laughs> Jew in America, which is a hell of a title. Is it a green frog? It is. It is. <laughs> It's a green frog and then a little model of a gas chamber. It's perfect. You were number one? Yeah, by, by a huge margin, by the way. Wow. Blowout. It was like 40% of all anti-Semitic tweets on the internet directed at journalists in 2016 were directed at me personally. It was a party. Holy shit. It was, it was a good year. It was a good year, you know? Some How? years are more productive than others. What did that feel like? Well, I mean, it felt like my Twitter feed was just a... A dumpster fire. <laughs> Anytime I retweeted anybody, I'd get somebody, I'd, be, I'd get people emailing me, please don't retweet me. Because as soon as oh I retweet God. someone, they'd just be hit by <laughs> waves of these people. It, it was, and that's died off? Yeah, since, since the election, it's, it's really gone down a fair bit. But, you know, uh, there, there were some pretty serious, you know, death threats. Like, I, I got people calling my cell phone. I had to up my security. I, had a, I already had a shotgun, but it was... Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, well, it, what, what started it off? Uh, probably me quitting Breitbart. Uh, so, uh. so when I was, uh, you know, I was not, I was not a Trump supporter. I didn't vote for either candidate in this year's election uh, or last Who year's election. Who did you support? Uh, in the in the primaries, Cruz. Yeah, Cruz. Cruz. Um, I supported him, his positions. He was the closest to me politically. Um, so, you know, I, I was not pro-Trump during the primaries. Uh, he didn't earn my vote during the general election. I thought, uh, like, there's two ways to look at your vote, and this is what I always said to people. I said, vote for who you want to, but for me, there's two ways to look at your vote. It's a coupon that expires November 9th. Right. And so you either use it or you lose it uh, or it's just it says something about what you are willing to accept. And it's possible that there can be an election where both candidates suck and you just don't want either of them. So and what did you do during the election? I voted down ticket. I skipped the top of the ticket. Wow. Uh, so which is the first time I've ever done that. So I didn't think either of these people was qualified to be president of the United States. Wow. So once Trump was elected, then it was like, OK, if he does good stuff, I'll praise him. And if he does bad stuff, I'll, I'll hit him as I would any other president. So mm. uh, so I've been sort of, you know, calling balls and strikes with him. And some of the stuff like Gorsuch I love and some of the stuff like Mika Brzezinski's bloody face I'm not so hot on. So that's <laughs> uh, uh, 
but yeah, so the uh, I think what what led off was it was a combination of three things. One, I'm Jewish, uh, two, and obviously so. Uh, two, I was working at Breitbart, and then I quit in the middle of the election cycle. After there was that whole, do you remember the Michelle Fields incident mm-hmm. uh, where Corey Lewandowski grabbed a reporter from Breitbart by the arm, hard yes. enough to bruise her, and then Breitbart did he, bru- did he actually bruise her? He bruised her. I mean, he, like she took pictures, she reported to the cops. It was you know, uh, unless unless you believe she bruised herself, it didn't it's, look much like a. I mean, when I watched the videos, yeah. like it looked like he just kind of grabbed her arm. It didn't uh, he, look like he, her body didn't like move like she was being injured. Yeah, I mean, she, let's put it this way, she, that was her account, that was also the account of Ben Terrace at the Washington Post, right, uh-huh. was that she was grabbed hard enough to bruise, and then she had bruises. Well, so, you know what, let me, as a fight commentator, there's a yeah. lot of things that I see live that look a lot worse than when you watch them on video, mm-hmm. you know, when people get knocked out, like, that wasn't much of a punch, I'm like, oh, you had to be there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, the most, uh, the example that comes to mind is the, the Ali Liston punch, right, in, in oh, fight yeah. number two, right? So that it's, was it's, probably a fake punch, That was probably punch, a fake, though, though. so probably did take that's a probably a bad there. example, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Bottom line is that the, that she the, there were three there were a bunch of different excuses that Breitbart went through on that one. One was that she was never grabbed at all. The mm-hmm. second was that it was a Secret Service guy, and then the third was that that Trump thought she was a security threat, and Corey Lewandowski had to protect Trump from this ninety pound soaking wet mm. you know girl. Uh, and so once Breitbart did that, then the real question for me was not you know what a horrible thing had happened to her. It was much more about as a journalistic entity, do you stand by your reporters or do you stand by the candidate who you support? And once Breitbart made clear to me that, it, like, I already knew they supported Trump. That wasn't any great shock, but I was kind of their token non-Trump guy. And once it became clear that they were willing to sort of sacrifice journalistic credibility on the altar of getting close to Trump, then I was out. Then, oh, then it's no wow. longer a journalistic outlet. So I quit, uh, and uh, and that sort of started the uh, the ball rolling. As so far you as a lot really of... didn't get anti-Semitic responses on Twitter before that? Uh, not too much. Not too much. So wow. I, I won't say that Breitbart directed it at me because I don't think they did. But I think that there were a lot of people who who follow Breitbart and you know Milo Yiannopoulos, and they were pissed at me, and they had seen me as like an ally, and now they saw me as an enemy, and and this kind of thing. So uh, it you know, that's a fun little but... war for them, right? Oh yeah, I mean people enjoyed it. Obviously, that's uh, a weird thing about the online hate is how much people enjoy it. Well, it's anonymous. You never yeah. get you never get tagged for it. For you know, now, it's, it's for, anonymous for, for now. For now, I mean, I've said this to a bunch of college students about you know the the alt right. First of all, I think it's important to mention a lot of people who say they're alt right aren't actually alt right. Just because you like a meme doesn't make you alt right. But like, there's a group of people who actually like Richard Spencer and Jared Taylor and the race based identity politics of, of white supremacy, uh, and those people are actually alt right. Uh, when the alt right is uh, is coming after you, then it's not a, a lot of fun. But there, there are a lot of there are a lot of young students who will retweet things from like things that are obviously nasty and are going to hurt them in their future career. Yeah, right. Where they'll they'll, they'll like be joking around on Facebook and using the N word. And I'll say to them like, guys, you may think it's funny, and ten years from now your employer is going to find that, and you're going to be toast. And there are a lot of people who sort of fall into this idea that what you do online is anonymous, and it is not. It is not going to remain anonymous. It's just a matter of time before it blows. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be crap. any anonymity in ten years. I agree. I think that we're, we're moving in that direction. And this is actually a thing that bothers me in general. Like, did you follow, the, I'm sure you did, the Donald Sterling saga uh-huh. out here? Yeah, sure. So it, it really bothered me. Yeah, me too. That everybody was willing to, like, take Donald Sterling's team away from him because he said something shitty to his girlfriend right. about Magic Johnson. When there's no evidence that there's actual discrimination among clients at the Clippers. and like, right. like Again, if there are actual evidence of discrimination, then sure, boycott his team and do what the NBA has to do. But, like, I'm pretty certain that 
every human being says crappy things to their intimate loved ones about groups of people and other people. And well, if this the, now his, becomes the standard, then I think that we're all toast. Oh, for sure. And his defense of it was like very reasonable. He's like, I was just trying to get laid. He's like, I was just, I was just saying, I mean, have you shut seen the Viviana? fuck up. He was like, he thought he was alone. He thought he was uh, with her, and no one was recording him. And she was trying to say that she had recorded all of their conversations, yeah. that it was a part of her her job. He's like a senile old guy, and yeah. he's obviously not with Vistaviano because she's a Nobel Prize winning yeah. physicist. I exactly. mean, like this is a, like he bought her a condo and a Bentley and a Ferrari, and he was just I trying say, to fuck her. His interview, his interview with Anderson Cooper was one of the classic interviews of all time. I never saw it. Oh my goodness, the, the moment it? where he says because there's a moment where he turns to Anderson Cooper and says. Anderson, have you ever fallen in love with a woman? And Anderson Cooper, who is, you know, super gay. gay fuck. Yeah, <laughs> Anderson Cooper goes, he starts laughing, goes, no, I've never had that experience. Well, Anderson, when you do fall in love with a woman, and he just, he's so unaware, and it's like, I'm sorry, like, I can't consider this guy, like, he's a KKK-threatening figure. Like, the, the guy right. can't even, like, find the toilet in the mornings. He's, like, stumbling a, over his ottoman, like, I had Dick a Van bit Dyke. I did about him defending him. Well, I was like, because if you look at what he actually said, everybody's like, he's a racist, he's a terrible person. He said, do me a favor. He goes, I don't, he goes, don't take pictures of black guys. He goes, in the next sentence, he said, I don't care if you fuck them. Just yeah. don't take pictures of them. I go, in my world, that's pretty reasonable. <laughs> like, you got a girl, you're buying her a Ferrari. All he's saying is just don't take any pictures. You can fuck them. She should just, like, leave well enough alone. You're getting a Ferrari out of the deal. No, I think that was, that whole thing was just like, it was, it was our capacity to get ourselves outraged so we could show everybody how outraged we were. Well, the president of the NBA, whatever the fuck his name is, what is, is uh, Adam Silver president? now, Adam Silver. The guy that got on TV and was yeah. talking about it, like, it was the most horrific thing that's ever been said like by any human being. Like, he's reinstituting Jim Crow at, at, like, at Clipper, at uh, Staples Center. He should yeah. have gotten on TV and said, look, this is obviously, we know what this was. This is a gold digger and an old man. It's a story as old as time. He said some stupid shit. Old people say stupid shit. <laughs> He's okay? a senile old guy. Here's the thing. Don't take his advice when it comes to race. Um, and, and he probably should have said, look, but on the bright side, he told us she can go fuck black guys. So, hey, everybody's happy. Would've Good night, everybody. Would have been better presser. <laughs> would have been the greatest press conference. Uh, the ratings would have been amazing. He's like self-righteous and bullshit. And... Well, I mean, a, a lot of that, again, is I think that if you look at the NBA statistics and who watches the NBA, the the outsized number of people who watch the NBA are black, and they spend yes. an outsized amount of time watching it. And so, you know, Donald Sterling pissed off a lot of black folks with that, understandably. And so a lot yeah. of people were like, I think the NBA was like, we're not going to lose our fan base over there. It was a money decision, in other words. I don't think it was a values decision as much of a, as a money one. I agree with you 100%, but I don't think they had to make that decision that way. I, I think, think they could have suspended him. They, they could have divested him and put him, like, put his kids or his wife yeah. in charge of the team. Like, this idea that you're going to force him to sell his team. It's crazy. Or you're going to disband the Clippers because there was a tape of an old man saying stupid-ass things to a gold digger. Is, it's, and it's didn't he well, sue and, anyway? And he wound up making more money from that team than he ever would have. It oh, became yeah, it much more valuable. for a bajillion dollars, yeah. It became much more valuable. It's, the whole thing is bizarre. Yeah. Um, that's it, dude. We just did three hours. Well, Isn't that crazy? Hey, I appreciate it. Flew by. That was great. Well, listen, people have been asking uh, for a long time for you to come on, so I'm glad we finally got together. And, yeah, uh, me too. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's do it again. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. See you guys. See you next week. Or girls, too. Non-binary folks, too. Everybody. All-inclusive. Bye. Bye.